Dead air there. Didn't get back in time. Sorry about that. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Up. <laughs> now a song starts at 01. Well, we're off to a great start here. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Drexel show. Tonight, it's just the Druff show. I doubt that Drexel will be showing up. In fact, I forgot to tell him. I just decided we haven't had radio in about two weeks. So I decided rather than making everybody wait until Wednesday that I would do a show tonight. So I'm going to invite Brandon to come here right now on radio if you want to join. And I'm guessing he's too busy to do this or maybe even sleeping. But anyway, (laughs) if we get him, that'll be great. But I decided, hey, I'm going to start this show just spontaneously, without much preparation. Won't be a real long show. I have some things to do tomorrow, which is, uh, I guess, today now. It's technically Saturday morning. But I wanted to get, I don't know, a few hours in tonight, talk about some things going on. Because I felt if I waited till Wednesday, then it would start getting too old, the stuff I wanted to discuss, and we'd have too much to talk about. I just thought it was time for another show. 
and I've had people bugging me. Why aren't there any shows? Why aren't there any shows? It's World Series. Why are there not any shows? So here's a show. You're probably not hearing this live. One, because it's 2 in the morning Pacific. Two, because it is not announced. (laughs) I mean, I just announced it, but it wasn't pre-announced. So I doubt that most people know this is even on. We have one person in chat besides me, Limp Donk Bingo. So welcome to him. (laughs) I'm doing this really for what is the vast majority of our listeners, which are the archive listeners, the ones who don't listen live. So it doesn't really matter if we're on in the middle of the night for those people. And that's why I decided to do it. I do appreciate the live listeners. I, I like them. I like what they bring to the chat. I like the assistance they sometimes provide in the chat room with uh, topics we are discussing. Sometimes we have people in the chat that know more about certain topics than we do. And it's good to hear from them. But sometimes we can't always have that. Of course, there's no free roll tonight. There'd be like nobody in it. So... Free roll will be the next time we have a scheduled show. This is a show I'm just slipping in here so we can have something and not as much of a delay between the previous show and the next show. It is July 2nd, 2016, very early in the morning, 2 a.m. Pacific time. As I mentioned before, there will be no free roll tonight. If you want to call into the show, the phone number is, as always, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. That's also our text number. If you want to text me during the show, 775-372-8355. You can text that number anytime, before, after, or during the show. I will respond to you, and I will read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. You can't text it, but you can call it. That's an old 70s rotary phone, which forwards to wherever I go. It's on the top of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas. It's a mountain there that gets snow in the winter. It's uh, much cooler during the summer than Las Vegas. It'll be 110 in Las Vegas. You go up to Charleston, it's like 75. It's very nice. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. You can chat in the chat room with the few people that might be there if you're listening live. There's, of course, the call to listen line. The call to listen line is something you can use to listen to the show, whether live or our streaming archives, which run 24 hours a day, seven days a week when we're not live. That phone number is 712-775-8162, 712-775-8162. That's just a phone number to call and listen to the show. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need a data plan. You don't need the internet. You don't need a laptop. All you need is a phone that can dial, any kind of phone, literally any kind of phone can call 712-775-8162 and listen to this show, whether live or whether it's streaming our reruns. Very useful number to have. Like, let's say you have a, a bad data connection. You're tired of all the buffering. Just call the call to listen line. They won't buffer. Let's say you don't want to waste your data on listening to this show. Again, call to listen line is perfect. And the sound quality is very good. If you forget the number, go to the radio page on PokerFraudAlert.com. It's listed there. So are the rest of our phone numbers to the show, uh, except one. I should put it on the main radio page, but the text line for Brandon, if you want to reach Brandon via text, you can text him anytime at 203-299-2436. That's 203-299-2436. You'll find that number also in the official thread for the radio show in the Flying Stupidity portion of Poker Fraud, Alert Radio's, or of Poker Fraud Alert's uh, forum. 
So, as I said, no free roll tonight. And as a result, and as a result of the fact that we don't have much of a live audience, I'm just going to end the intro right there, (laughs) except for the agenda. So it's going to be a short intro for once and a shorter show. Everything's short. So for those of you that are joining me, I'm glad to have you here. Maybe you're just getting back from being out on Friday night. Maybe you're trying to fall asleep. And some people use this show to fall asleep, and that's fine. If my soothing voice puts you to sleep, that's good. I I could not fall asleep listening to this show. I'll tell you the truth. If I tried to listen to the show, even if it wasn't me talking, I could not fall asleep. I couldn't fall asleep listening to any radio show. But some people use it for that. So whatever way you'd like to use the show, I'm fine. Any way possible. All right, so here's the agenda tonight. First, I'm going to say a few words about some controversy on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum and basically how I feel about the Poker Fraud Alert Forum. For the most part, we have two distinct crowds as to who listens to the radio and who listens to the forum or who reads the forum. Some do both, but it's it's mostly separate. And for that reason, I try to keep the forum topics separate from radio topics. I don't talk about the forum much on radio. Sometimes forum people are like, oh, you got to discuss this, you got to discuss this. I'm like, no, this is forum drama. It's stupid. But I do want to get something out that's been happening this week. I want to give my feelings and position on something related to the forum and then I'll go past that, and then we'll get into our World Series stories. The World Series is still going on. We're getting towards the end. The main event will take place on July 9th. It's a week from today. The World Series of Poker stories we will do this week. We did plenty last week, but the ones we'll do this week are as follows. I cash in another event, but once again, and that's the reason for our song that opened the show, Boom, It Was Over Just Like That by Robert Ellis Oral from 92. It's a country song. reason for that song was that is, again, my story at the World Series of Poker in 2016. That has been the theme of 2016's World Series of Poker. Three different events now. I have run up a good stack and shot it all off within one or two hours. I did it again here at the Bounty No Limit event. I did cash in the event. So that's the good news. The bad news is I didn't get that big of a cash because, once again, when I started to lose chips, I started to lose them fast. WSB.com has removed their ridiculous social media sign-in requirement for the updates page, and they did so very quietly. I'll talk a bit about that. The Limit Hold'em Shootout. That was one of my favorite World Series of Poker events. It has not been here for now three consecutive years. What happened to it? Where did it go? Maybe it's even four years. Anyway, it's been gone a long time. Why is it gone? I can't figure it out. I will tell you why that event should be here on the schedule. Not just because I like it, but it's an event that would be good for both the World Series of Poker and for the players. And when I say the World Series of Poker, I mean Caesars Corporation. It'd be good for the company and be good for the players. I don't know why they've got rid of it, and I'm going to lobby for it to come back in 2017. The Rio had an air conditioning problem. They did not have ice-cold AC in a lot of rooms, especially during a week when it was really needed, starting uh, Monday the 21st of June. 
or even uh, I guess before that, right, not Monday, Monday the twentieth, and even uh, I guess a few days before that, it got really hot in Vegas. Monday the twentieth was the hottest; it was one hundred fifteen degrees. But the AC did not work in many rooms, many many rooms. So I'm going to tell you why the AC is having such a problem in the Rio. It doesn't have to. It's a cheap fix. They just aren't fixing it. And what to do if you get in a Rio room with very poor air conditioning? There is a fix to it. Chris Ferguson has been playing at the World Series. He even made a final table. Thankfully, did not win a bracelet. But he's been unapologetically playing at the World Series. The latest... Someone asked him why he doesn't apologize for the full tilt situation, and he said, for what? (laughs) He he really said that. He really really said, for what? (laughs) Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Chris Ferguson supposedly doesn't know what he should apologize for. Of course he does. He's just playing dumb. Really obnoxious. Really, really obnoxious. Finally, as far as World Series topics, I guess that's another Rio topic. I guess I'll combine it with the other Rio topic. A guy named Greg Shahad, or Greg Shahadi, I don't know how you pronounce his name. He took a video of the, the Rio security staff breaking into a room using a crude device. Now, it's not as sinister as it sounds. In fact, he tried to make it look sinister to get attention. But uh, in reality, they were trying to get into the room because the door lock was broken. So they were, they were doing their job. This, this wasn't anything shady by Rio security. I want to make that clear. But uh, the video was disturbing in that the device they were using to break into the room is not something that could not be duplicated. It was, it was a device that anyone could make and get into a Rio room undetected. I will tell you about the device and how it kind of disturbs me to see. And by telling you about this device, I'm taking a risk that one of you might copycat the device and build one yourself and break into real rooms, maybe even my real room. But I'm going to take that chance, especially since the video is gone now, so there's, you can't see it. So I think my description of it probably won't help you that much. But yeah, it's pretty disturbing. They, I understand why security has it, but I don't like the fact that that is vulnerable. The rooms are vulnerable to this, and there's really... Not very many ways to fight it. There's one way, but uh, I'll tell you about it if you want to know. In non-World Series news, the Jacqueline Moscow Nolan Dalla controversy has heated up. And I bet you're saying, oh, no, I don't want to hear about this again. But it's not going to be a long discussion. But there's several new, important, interesting developments, including a tape that has been released of Poker Night in America host Chris Hansen pretty much admitting that he really did say that he didn't like having Jews on Poker Night in America. Well, not exactly. He admitted that he said that the great thing about Poker Night in America was that there was no Jews involved. I never believed that. I mean, I thought that was an outlandish claim of hers, but it seems like it's true. So I'm going to play that. But don't worry, this isn't going to be uh, a Jacqueline Moscow ass-kiss fest. It's going to be a very even-handed discussion of the situation. There's lawsuits going on. And I'm going to give you my take of, you know, now that all this has come out, I'm going to give you my take on what the whole situation has really been about. 
on both sides. I think I figured out the whole thing of how it all went down. Kate Hall, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's kind of new on the poker scene. That's C-A-T-E, Kate Hall, H-A-L-L. She has found herself in not one, not two, but three different Twitter controversies in a very short time. Now, she is very outspoken on Twitter. She is a social justice warrior. And uh, she's really getting into it. (laughs) She's really sparking up the controversy big time. So I'll tell you about the three different Twitter controversies that she got involved with, including one where she seemed to be saying that she wishes that she could have sex with a lot of different guys in poker. She doesn't, but she wishes she could. I'll I'll tell you about that tweet and uh, my analysis of what she was trying to say and two other tweets she left that about separate matters that have caused controversy. If you want to bet sports in the U.S. and you don't live in Nevada, you don't have many options, so you have to turn to illegal options. You can use a mainstream book like Bovada, but the lines aren't very good there. It's, it's not really a good place to bet if you're any kind of serious sports better. Even if you're not like a professional sports better, even if you're a recreational one that makes a lot of bets, that's not a good place to make bets typically. Uh, and, and you could use these shady sports books. There's all kinds of internet sports books out there, but a very high percentage never pay you. I mean, you think the poker world's shady. You should see the sports betting internet world. It's terrible. Like they, Really, a high percentage of sports betting sites never pay you. So never use one of the, one of the shady ones. But another option is to use a bookie, an old-school bookie, who will book your bets and uh, pay you when you win. You pay him when you lose. You settle about once a week. Uh, that's kind of the, the new format for bookies is to do it through an online site that basically keeps track of all the bets that these bookies use. Well, there's been a bust of one of these sites. It's a billion-dollar bust. I'll tell you about it, and I'll tell you a bit more about these uh, bookie sports betting sites and whether you should trust them if you want to play sports bets. Now, you can't just find them easily. You have to be referred in some way, but if you get referred to one, should you trust these bookies, or are you better off on one of the Internet sites that uh, is not affiliated with a local bookie? Tropicana Entertainment, and this is not the company that owns Tropicana Las Vegas. They own a number of other Tropicanas, but not the one in Las Vegas. They have an offer for Caesars Seven Stars members to get a status match, and you get some pretty good stuff along with it, so I'll tell you about that. Some state online poker news is what we'll close the show with. The Anti-Poker Stars Coalition in California, led by the Pachanga Casino, has released a rigged poll to show that uh, people in the state do not want online gambling. And they also demand that they want poker stars out of the California market for only 10 years and only a $60 million fine. So I'll tell you about that whole thing. It just seems like online poker in California is not going to happen with uh, this fighting back and forth with the different interests. And I I see both sides. I'm not one of these people who 
blindly supports poker stars on the market, uh, nor am I one who thinks that uh, they absolutely shouldn't be here. I, I see both sides of it. Uh, so anyway, let's get started with the show here. Sorry if I seem distracted. I just I got a text from Brandon. I think uh, actually I don't know if he can make it. He's saying he has a tournament tomorrow at noon, and let's see what else. Yeah, he has a charity tournament at noon. Okay, well, you know when when he uh, if he can make it, he can. If he can't, then I understand. I started it literally with no notice to anybody except for myself. So I want to talk about about the forum, the Poker Fraud Alert forum. I've had people tell me, listen to the radio, that they've lurked on the forum sometimes, and it's, it's a pretty harsh place, that there's a lot of trolling, a lot of negativity. Uh, they're afraid to register and post there. They're afraid that they're going to get trolled or bashed. And th- that's true. There There is a lot of trolling and bashing on it. Now, I will say that all of that is only allowed in two areas of the forum, the Flying Stupidity Forum, which is our most active forum here, and also the bathroom wall, which is pretty inactive. It's like an anonymous forum. But other than those two, I do not allow any bashing or trolling on the forum. And if I see it, then I remove the posts. And if someone keeps doing it, I remove them from those forums. So if you want to participate in the forum, and I encourage you to, and you don't want to deal with all the trolling and all the negativity, you can do so in the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum, the Poker Community Discussion forum, the Casinos in Las Vegas forum. All these forums, they're not really fast-moving, but they have ongoing topics uh, they get new topics uh, at least every few days, and you can participate there without any fear of being trolled or harassed there, because I don't allow it in those areas of the forum. But I'm not really talking about those areas in this segment, because those areas are pretty simple to run, and everybody, for the most part, understands the rules and my expectations, and the few that don't, I've kicked out of there. I'm talking about the most active area of the Poker Fraud Alert Forum called Flying Stupidity. Now, you have to understand the history behind all this. You might say, why do we have something like that on Poker Fraud Alert? I thought Poker Fraud Alert is a site meant to fight poker fraud. Why, why do we have a segment of the site with uh, a lot of stuff that a lot of people find unnerving? Stuff with uh, you know, trolling, with bashing, with uh, racism... Whatever. You know, it's it's pretty much a free speech forum, that flying stupidity area. Why why do I put up with this? Why do I even have that sort of thing on my site? I get criticized sometimes for some of the content that's on there. I say, hey, look, I didn't post that content. They say, yeah, but it's your site. So you have to understand that this whole community, and I don't mean the poker community, I mean this subsection of the poker community, started on a site called Never Win Poker in 2004. And... I did my first poker internet radio show on Never Win Poker. Uh, then we, when Never Win Poker took its forum and radio show down, we moved over to a new site called Donkdown. That is now gone. And, uh, and then I moved over to Poker Fraud Alert, which I started myself in the beginning of 2012. So this is over 12 years we're talking about here. And a lot of the same people have come along for the ride. A lot of the people you'll find in the Flying Stupidity Forum began posting on these forums in the early days, 2004, 2005, 2006. Some of these people have been around for 10-plus years. So the the group kind of knows each other. 
Yeah, there's some newer people, of course. And sometimes the newer people don't fit in with the older ones very well. Because the, the older ones, they've known each other for a very long time. Even the ones that aren't very liked in the old group of people have kind of become accepted for the most part because they've just been around for so long. So I, I have the Flying Stupidity Forum up just as a continuation of this little community we've had for 12 years. Just I have a soft spot for it. I was part of it. And I wanted to continue being part of it. And uh, it got its start. It became popular back then because it was free speech, because you could say anything, because it wasn't heavily moderated like 2 plus 2 was. That if you wanted to post something that wouldn't be allowed anywhere else, you could post it there. And that's the same spirit that exists today in the Flying Stupidity Forum of Poker Fraud Alert. And sometimes stuff goes up there that I don't like to see on my site. You know, I'll see racist messages. I'll see other uh, messages which wouldn't look good if people who are trying to judge me read my forum and think that I support these things. But I don't necessarily support everything that's posted there. There's a number of things that are posted on my site that I don't agree with that I don't like, but I leave them up there because I want to basically keep a free speech environment. But running a free speech forum has a lot of challenges, a lot of challenges. Uh, People are always trying to push the envelope, see what they can get away with, see what they can do, see how outrageous they can be. And you have to draw the line somewhere. You know, what's okay on a free speech forum? Is uh, illegal activity or information okay? No, obviously not. Uh, is is it okay to post explicit pictures, like pornography up there? Well, as long as it's like in a spoiler tag, I guess that's fine, but I, I don't want that just being up there because then people browse this from work, you know, from home when kids are around, uh, on their phone when people are around. They always have to be worried of who's going to look over their shoulder. I don't want that, so I just allow that. Uh, personal information. I don't like when people's personal information is posted there. I don't want people's addresses, full names, unless they've already made it public, uh, phone numbers, workplace information. I don't want that stuff up there because it can re- lead to people being harmed in real life. The only exception, of course, are scammers who deserve some real-life consequences for what they've done. But uh, for regular members of the site, I don't allow that sort of thing to be done. And then what about me? What about the treatment of me on my own site. Do you have to kiss my ass? Do you have to always agree with me? Are you allowed to criticize me? Are you allowed to insult me or make fun of me? Are you allowed to troll me? Well, the answer to all of that is yes. I, I try to, for the most part, be a user of Poker Fraud Alert, Poker Fraud Alert like everybody else, even though I'm the owner, even though I could ban anyone who pisses me off even though I don't make money from the site. So nobody's a customer, which is an important distinction. You know, People say, oh, the customer's always right. Well, there's no customers here. I don't make money. <laughs> it loses money. It doesn't generate money. Forget not making money. It doesn't generate money. The site does not have an income. So it's a hobby. So I allow people to express negative feelings about me my decisions, the way I run the forum, make uh, insults or derogatory jokes about me. I do. Because I don't want to be 
on a pedestal there. I don't want to have a special status to where I'm untouchable. I don't think that makes for good conversation. I want everyone to be themselves. But the problem is, when I allow that, of course, you have people that want to abuse it. They want to see how far can they take this. They want to see how irritating can they get, how frustrated can they make me, how unpleasant can they make life for me on my own forum. Some people get some kind of excitement out of this. So there I have to draw the line. I have to draw the line of people that just over and over and over and over again are attacking me there. And again, criticism's fine. Disliking me is fine. The occasional jab or insult or troll, that's fine too. But I, I can't have people following me around to every thread and, and trying to troll me constantly. I've, I've had a few like that over time. I had to remove them. I just removed someone recently who sometimes calls this show really drunk. Who always does that? So we have that, and then we also have the problem that there's a lot of hostility in the Flying Stupidity Forum toward new users. And when new users show up who don't act the way that uh, everyone's hoping that they should act, if they post too much, if they seem to be trying too hard to fit in, if uh, they have an attitude that... uh, the older users don't like, and I don't mean like a bad attitude, I mean if they just don't like the person's demeanor, if they just don't like them, they really, really give these people a hard time. But worse is I am told that I need to ban them. I, not, not the ones who are trolling, but I, I'm told that I need to ban the ones who are, quote, making the forum terrible, or, quote, making the forum unreadable. And I, I don't do that. This is a lightly moderated forum. It's always been a lightly moderated forum. The same thing that allows you to go on there and post uh, a controversial message that might have uh, racist statements in it or anything else you want to post there that wouldn't be allowed in a lot of other places. That's the same reason that I allow people who are unpopular to continue posting. Now, I'm not going to let anyone dominate the form. So if somebody posts too often to where they're just constantly all over every thread, then yeah, then they're being heard from too much. They're taking up... Uh, too much of the forum airtime, and that I don't like. Then I have to ask them to tone it down, and if they don't, then I have to restrict them to a limited number of posts per day. So I understand that complaint. That complaint makes sense. But I'm not going to ban certain people just because they're not liked. I don't do that. I don't play favorites like this. I don't try to appease the cool kids. I don't. And I never will. And we, we had someone leave the forum recently who's a very long-time user. In fact, he may have the most posts on the forum aside from me. His name is uh, Four Dragons. And I like Four Dragons a lot, and I was very sad to see him go. And a lot of people were sad to see him go. He said, the forum's unreadable, I'm leaving, goodbye. He wasn't nasty about it, he just said, it's unreadable, I'm leaving, goodbye. And that's his choice. I've always said that uh, nobody owes me anything. Nobody has to post on on my forum. Nobody has to read my forum. You're welcome never to come to the forum. If you've been coming, you're welcome to stop any time. I have no expectation that you continue. But at the same time, you can't have any expectation of me. I'm running it in the way I think is correct to run it. I have not changed my vision of how it's going to be run. If you go read uh, on dandruffpoker.com, if you go there, you'll see a blog from February 2012 before I put up Poker Fraud Alert where I was talking about the vision for the new forum. And you'll see that uh, with few exceptions, the vision I had in February 2012 is the same as the way I operated in July 2016. I just don't have any desire to change that. 
because there's no reason to. I had my vision for the way that things will run, which is basically a lightly moderated forum where I don't get involved too much with banning people or restricting people unless it's really necessary. I don't play favorites. I don't try to appease the cool kids. It's just a, it's a place where everyone can participate. And that's the way it's going to be. And just because you've been part of the community for 10 years or 12 years, that, that doesn't mean you can tell me what to do. Just because a lot of people like you on the forum doesn't mean you can tell me what to do. Just because a lot of people agree with your point of view, just because you have the, the, the vocal frequent posters on your side does not mean you can tell me what to do. Why? Because I'm the one who puts the time, the effort, and the money into running this forum. And I don't make money from it. I don't try to gain from it in any way. I don't use it to promote myself. There's really nothing I get out of it. The only thing I get out of it is entertainment and fun and you know, just satisfaction from being part of it. But, uh, but nothing tangible. And as I said to the people who are very... Uh, nasty to me about this situation and other situations, you know, people who just seem to get it off on me being upset or frustrated. Uh, if, if this is what goes on, then it's just not going to be there anymore. When I say it, I mean the flying stupidity form. I will, I will remove it if it's uh, something that doesn't bring me any kind of uh, pleasure anymore. If I don't find it rewarding to run that section of Poker Fraud Alert, I'm going to remove it because I, I don't want stressful things in my life that have no upside and only downside. I mean, You've heard me on the show. Do I sound like a guy that wants to do something that has no upside but a lot of downside? I always speak against those sort of things. So I would be a hypocrite if I continued to do something that only had a downside and no upside. I'm not saying we're there yet, but if, if, uh, if I get the impression that this section of the forum... It's just a bunch of ingrates who just want to yell at me all the time and just bitch about everything, and that they they feel that they have the right to tell me what to do on my own site. And you can make suggestions. I'm not saying you can't make suggestions. I'm not saying I won't take your suggestions seriously. I have taken suggestions seriously before, and I have changed things uh, because it's hey, you know, these people are right. You know, they uh, they bring up a good point. I, I'll I will consider everything that's suggested to me, but no one will ever be able to tell me what to do. The crowd will never be able to pressure me to do something. If I do something, it's because I think it's right, not because everyone wants me to. Why? Because, again, it's my site. I'm the one who puts out the effort and the expense to run it, and it's a lot harder than you think. It's a lot harder than you think. It is very tough to run a free speech forum. You can never keep everybody happy. You've always got people on both sides some complaining that you don't moderate enough, some complaining that you moderate too much. Someone wants certain people removed, others want other people removed. Then you have your own ideas of what you want to do, which often conflicts with what you're being told to do. And you also have to suffer the consequences on the outside. You know, I, I see people in poker, and they go, oh, look, there's that guy who's got the racism on his, on his forum. Like, that, that doesn't look good on me. That reflects poorly on me, and I put up with it because I want to provide a free speech forum to everybody. Furthermore, free speech forums tend to attract a lot of psychos, a lot of freaks. I'm not saying everybody posts as a freak, but there, there are some that I've had to ban over the years that when, once I've banned them, they, they 
develop vendettas. There's one particular person who has a very strong vendetta against me. Just because I had to remove him. Because he was getting out of hand on the forum. And it wasn't just my opinion. Everybody agreed he should be banned. <laughs> so that was one thing where me and everybody agreed. But uh, but this individual just went crazy and has been uh, harassing me for three and a half years. And I did nothing to him except ban him. So it's a tough thing to deal with. It's a thankless job. Now, you know what's actually not a thankless job is this show. This show doesn't make money. But I will say, in contrast to the Flying Stupidity Forum, this radio show, I feel a lot of appreciation from people. I get messages all the time from people thanking me for running the show, thanking me for the effort and the time I put into it, thanking me for providing them this entertainment that gets them through their workday or helps them fall asleep or doing chores around the house, whatever the hell they use it for. I get people thanking me. I get people saying, hey, we appreciate this. I also have people showing gratitude in other ways, such as donating to the free roll. When it comes to the radio show, the vast majority of you that I've interacted with are very gracious, very appreciative, and I like that. And it makes me feel good. It makes me want to do more shows. It makes me not want to quit this. But the forum's the opposite. I, I never get anyone thanking me for the effort. I never get anyone showing appreciation. Uh, it's almost like I... A lot of them seem to almost feel like this is my job. This this is my duty to do for them. And not only must I do it, I must do it the way they say. Others don't really just, they just don't think about it. They just don't really think about that this is my site, that it requires a lot of time and effort, that uh, there's a lot of hassle with running a free speech forum, and they... They just kind of put that aside, but at the same time, they go, you know what would be funny? Let, let's say some really nasty things to Druff to tilt him. Let's watch him tilt. That would be really funny, won't it be? Won't it be funny to watch Druff tilt and get pissed off? Well, see, I, I don't want to run a forum like that. I, I don't want, if, if that's the theme, if that's what uh, a lot of people think is funny and interesting, that's, I, I don't want to run it. I, why should I put out the effort to run such a thing like that? So, again, it's got to be rewarding for me to want to continue with a hobby. Any kind of hobby, I need to have fun doing the hobby. If I don't have fun doing the hobby, then I stop doing the hobby. It's, it's true with everything, every hobby I've had in my life. So with radio, it is rewarding. With radio, I am experiencing the appreciation from the listeners. Now, let's say when I did this show, if, if all the feedback I got is, hey, the show sucks, you're a loser, screw this, you know what, uh, you should pay me to listen to this crap. You know, if I got that all the time, and I, I get the occasional rude message, you know, I've, I've mentioned that before, but the vast, vast, vast majority of messages I get here are positive. Even the ones giving constructive criticism always say at the end, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm putting down the show or saying I hate it, I actually really like it, here's what I think you should change, though. Like the, even people criticizing it tend to let me know that they still like it. And that's the way it should be. Because you know what? It's free. It requires a lot of time and effort. And if I'm not making money from it, which I'm not, if I'm losing money from it, then for me to want to continue, I have to feel like I'm getting something out of it. And if I feel like people are enjoying it and letting me know they enjoy it, I know that people out there are appreciating it, then, yeah, I want to keep doing it. Just because uh, 
I'm glad people are reacting that way. But if you get nothing but negativity, you don't want to continue. I don't think anyone would. Just, just a word for you guys that listen uh, that also are involved with the flying stupidity area of the forum. You don't have to kiss my ass, but uh, watch how much you push me because one day it's just going to be gone. I'm not trying to threaten things here. I'm just saying, just telling you the truth. I'll be sick of it one day and just pull it and just leave the rest of the forum where nobody's allowed to troll and kill that part. It might happen. Now it's going to happen now, but it might happen at some point if I get sick enough of it. Okay. I, I spoke on that longer than I wanted to, but I think I got everything out. Let's talk about the, about the World Series of Poker. And I just realized something. As I finish with that rant, I just realized something. That I never turned on Skype, which means nobody can call me. Because Skype is the way... It, it routes the calls. Any phone number you call routes to Skype. That's the, that's the way I take calls on this show, if you wonder. So if I don't have Skype turned on, then you don't get through. Not that I think we're being inundated with phone calls at this time. But... Figure I might as well turn it on anyway. So it's on. You guys can call now. 775-FRAUD-55. I guess if of all times that I would forget to turn it on, it would be good for tonight. You know, if I had to pick the one time to forget, it would be good to have it at a time like now. Because probably nobody's calling anyway. I'm afraid to even look at our ratings, but I'm going to look anyway. Because I'm a masochist. Let's look at our ratings. Oh, all right. Better than I thought. They're not good, but <laughs> they're better than I thought. Okay. I think we'll probably pick them up as people just visit the site and see the on-air banner. So here's the, the World Series stories. Let's get to those. I played seven preliminary events this year. I'm done with them. I'm not playing any more till the main event. I am playing the main, but that's the last thing I'm playing. So I'm done with everything except the main. I cashed in the very first event I played, which is the 1500 Limit Hold'em. I cashed in the very last event I played, which was the $1,500 No Limit Bounty event, which is the first time I've ever played one of those. I've talked a lot about the Limit Hold'em. I talked about the two heartbreaks I had at both of the first Limit Hold'em events. At the 1500 middle of the day two, I had the chip lead, and I chunked it off and went down to zero within an hour. And I finished in 40th place for $3,705. Not exactly what I thought I would be getting when I was the midday two chip leader. I was picturing the final table at that point, maybe even winning. Then I played the $10,000 Limit Hold'em event. And there in mid to late day one, I was the chip leader or second chip leader. And within 75 minutes, all those chips were gone. Very depressing to have this happen twice in such a short time. Now, all the other events I played up to the bounty event, I could never really get going. I just never really had any kind of stack much above starting stack in any of those. And then I got to my last event, my last prelim event, my seventh event of the 2016. Up till then, I was one for six. Uh, to tell you the events I played, I played the 1500 Limit Hold'em cashed. I played the uh, 1500 08 event, 
couldn't get going there. Played well, actually, especially for it being a new game to me, but didn't get anywhere. Played the 10K limit hold'em, told you what happened there, didn't cash. Played the uh, extended play, no limit hold'em, known as the Summer Solstice event. I did not uh, cash in that or get anywhere close, went out of that pretty quickly. Played the $3,000 six max limit hold'em, I really wanted that one, but just couldn't get going with that, never had much above starting stack. Survived for over three hours of the short stack, but eventually busted. And uh, didn't make day two. Uh, then I played the monster stack. Couldn't get anywhere with that. It was gone within a few hours. And then I came to my final event. The bounty no limit event. Now the bounty event, that is an interesting event. And I'm going to play it again. I thought it was uh, very different than anything I've played before. The bounty event for every player you knock out, you get $500. And, of course, the event buy-in is $1,500. So if you've knocked out three people, then you cannot lose. No matter where you get in the event, if you knock out three people, you're guaranteed at least a break-even event. Now, of course, where does this money come from? Does this money come from the coffers of the Caesars Corporation? Okay, maybe no, 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 no. The $500 bounties come from the prize pool. And then you go, whoa, that sounds like a lot of money. Well, it is a lot of money. In fact, it's more than you think. You probably think it's a third of the money, right? Wrong. It's not a third of the money. It's actually 37% of the money. 37% of the prize pool goes to bounties. You may say, how the hell do you get 37%? Well, remember, there's rake. So when you buy in for 1500 1500 is not going to the prize pool. No, 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 no. 7% is going to the Caesars Corporation. They just take it and say thank you very much. 3% are tips that go to the dealers and the staff. So that's 10%. So only 1350 of your $1,500 buy-in to any $1,500 World Series event, not just this one, will go to the prize pool. The other 150 has gone out to these places that I've described. So... It's not really a 1500 event. It's more of a 1350 event. You pay 1500 but you're really only getting 1350 So when $500 bounty is being paid for each player, that comes out of the 1350 So let's do elementary school subtraction. $1,500 minus, or sorry, no, $1,350. $1,350 minus 500 equals, yes, age 50. $850 from each player goes into the prize pool. That's it. It's a $1,500 event, but $850 goes to the prize pool. The rest goes to either rake or to bounties. So as you might imagine, the payouts are not exactly high, especially at the bottom levels, especially also because they pay 15% of the field. So it's like an $850 event after the rake and after the bounties, and they pay 15% of the field. So it's a very, very flat payout. You have to keep that in mind, too. That's important to keep in mind because the bottom payout, the min cash at the 15% left mark, is $1,417. So this is the first time I've seen it at a World Series event, aside from that weird 50-50 event last year, which is gone. It's the first time I've seen it at a World Series event where you cash and actually are down money at that point. Because if you don't knock anybody out and just make it to the point when you make the money, 
you would be down $83 because you paid 1500 and you're only getting paid 1417 <laughs> So it's pretty ridiculous. You have to wait till you get to the next level of cash to just barely ba- break 1500 And I mean barely. They pay you 1501 at the next level of cashing. And it moves up very, very slowly. So they had almost 2,200 entrants, and they were paying 324 people, 15%. I got off to a, a decent start, and I, I was running it up. I got up uh, over 40k, but in the later stages of day two, then I, I quickly lost two hands. But then, before I could even sit there and be too depressed about it, two hands later, I had ace queen suited. I raised from the cutoff a recreational player flatted. So I made it 1,000. The blinds are 200, 400 with an ante. The recreational player in the small blind flatted, and the big blind went all in. Well, I had remembered this big blind doing a squeeze play from there with 9-5 suited. So I said, is he really dumb enough to do this again? Is, is he really squeezing again after showing the 9-5 suited? I mean, he had to because he won the hand, actually. But, like, after people saw he squeezed with 9-5 suited out of the big blind and raised this if he had a big hand, like, does he really expect me to lay down ace-queen to him? He didn't know it as ace-queen. He may have thought it was a blind steal, but he made a pretty big raise, too. He didn't go all in. I, I said the wrong thing. Um, And, and I think I actually went... I'm sorry, it wasn't 1,000. I made it 2,000 because the blinds were a 400, 800. So I made it 2,000. The small blind flatted, and he, he went all in. Sorry, I keep saying it wrong. He he made it 10K. I know I'm, t- I'm mangling the story hard. He made it 10K over my 2K. And I thought to myself, you know what? If this guy's got a big hand, he's not going to raise it to five times what I did, especially if he thinks I'm just stealing. If he thinks I'm just late position blind stealing. I go, this guy who already showed 9-5 suited from the big blind when he squeezed before. He's putting an over-raise here. And I had like 23K total. So I, I, I'm thinking, okay, well, I, I can't just call and see what I flop because uh, I'll be pot committed at this point. With 23K, I can't just call 10K. So I've got to make the decision. Do I go, go all in with the ace-queen, which I, I, I don't like. Like, I don't like going all in with ace-queen. Uh, because it's crushed so often in these tournaments. Ace-Queen's just not a good hand in the no-limit hold'em. It was suited, but big deal. You know, it's like, do I really want to risk it all with Ace-Queen? But I thought, okay, look, I, I think this guy's full of crap. So I called, and I was I was mostly right. He had King-Jack suited. So I was already in decent shape, but not great shape, because it's it's like a 60-40 situation. But uh, uh, right away, I, I flopped well, and that was uh, a double-up for me. And then I ended up busting him a little bit later when I had uh, uh, I think I had pocket nines and he had raised and um, I think I re-raised and he went all in. But whatever it was, I busted him in a race. So uh, I quit. I finished the day they had just barely hit the money. I finished the day with three bounties, meaning guaranteed break-even, plus 
they had just hit the money. So I was guaranteed over $2,900 for the event going to day two, and I had a 70K stack. I was number 73 of the 309 remaining. So pretty good. I'm not like, I wasn't like the chip leader, but I was, I was in pretty good shape going into day two. And I had a good starting table. Good meaning it was pretty easy. I mean, Sean Deeb was there, but he wasn't taking it very seriously, and he shot off his, his chips pretty quickly. Uh, everybody else at the table was either an amateur or, or someone who I could handle pretty well. Like, I, I didn't have any players there that I really had a hard time dealing with. Uh, I also played very well that day. I, re- I really saw everything very clearly that day. What I thought was really interesting about that event was choosing when to call off light to win a bounty. Because remember, the bounty, $500, that's a lot compared to the, the low caches that you get until you get really deep. So if you can rack up a lot of bounties, it's actually worth it. So uh, provided it's not going to dent your stack too much, you've got to take shots. So I, I won three bounties, but what's sad is I would have won three others had I not had to deal with other players. So like I'd have someone raise all in. I'm all ready to call call off with like Queen Ten or Jack Nine or something, which I would never ra- I would never call off chips with that type of thing all in. Those those are not good hands to run the board out. But when you're going to win five hundred dollars from winning, you, have, you know, of course you're going to do it if if the all in isn't too big. But I had others then calling ahead of me, so at that point I don't want to get involved. I don't want to have to play another player in that size of a pot with a hand like Jack Nine or Queen Ten. So I would lay it down, and like three times I would have I would have busted the bounty person. Had I called, even had I called with the person who had called with me. So three times I was beaten to it with the bounties. But I would have called them. But I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it, was, it added an interesting dynamic to where you're not just going, oh, you know, Jack Nine, who wants to run that out all in? Okay, I'm just going to fold. But like this, you really have to think about, is this worth calling off for that extra 500 that I could potentially win? Believe it or not, there was a guy who ran up 20 bounties before the dinner break, which is six hours in. In six hours of play, some guy knocked out 20 people. Can you believe that? Not at my table. But a guy did show up at my table at the very end of the first day. He had 11 bounty chips. So he was guaranteed 5,500 plus the 1,400 cash. So that's that's pretty far down because, like, uh, I think uh, the final two tables aren't even paying that much. Or maybe they are. Like the, I guess the final two tables are paying... Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think how much they pay. I know like the final five tables, you're getting like 6000 at that point. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's not very much. You're not getting very much for getting that deep in a tournament with 2,200 people. Well, I went into day two, and I saw already that there were some bad things. Uh, everyone at my table, except for one... Seemed like they were a pro player Not big names The only big name was Martin Jacobson The 2004 main event champ But uh, like good solid players Who have good resumes when you Google them They've they've Hit a lot of scores in tournaments Where they may not be well known But you can tell they know what they're doing And I unfortunately got a lot of big stacks At the table with me I I was 73rd out of 309 Which means I should be one of the bigger stacks I wasn't, I was the 6th biggest stack out of uh, out of nine, or sorry, I was the seventh biggest stack out of nine. Now, one of them was in a virtual tie with me, so you could say I'm kind of like tied for sixth. But there were only two people out of the nine that had lower stacks than me, which is insane. And there were five with substantially bigger stacks. 
And uh, as I said, there were no bad players. There's one recreational player to my right, a woman who started only with 14K. I was sure she was just going to like bust right at the beginning. Well, she, she just hit hand after hand. She actually made it the second furthest of any of us. <laughs> she made it to 39th somehow. And she was the one who busted me aces against ace-king. All in in a hand that played itself. But I, I just couldn't win a hand. I could not win a hand. Not only was I getting, not only was I card dead, not only was I uh, uh, missing flops, but then my opponents were not missing the flops that I was missing. So they had something every time I didn't have something, which means you're just pretty much stuck then. You're, you're just stuck. Is it, if you miss every flop and your opponents hit the flops when you miss, what are you going to do? You can push. They're going to call you. Uh, and I was getting, I was just completely card dead the rest of the time. And I went out with ace-king suited against aces. <laughs> and even having a chance to win, I flopped two diamonds. I had ace-king of diamonds, and then the turn was a king, so it gave me outs there too. But nothing on the river. So within two hours, I was out. I didn't shoot it all off. I just didn't hit anything. It did start an interesting discussion on, on Poker Fraud Alert's uh, Poker Community Discussion Forum about... Pocket threes. What do you do with pocket threes in a tournament like this? Uh, Martin Jacobson, who was playing very loose, yeah, he won ten million dollars two years ago. So I think he was just he either wanted to really run up big chips or go home. Even though he came in with a nice stack of one hundred ten k, way bigger than me, but he he wasn't satisfied just waiting for solid hands. He wanted to play a lot of pots. So he didn't do well. He actually busted before I did. So he he chunked out faster than I did. I mean, I lost seventy k in two hours. He, he lost one hundred ten k chips. In like an hour and a half But uh, he raised under the gun And at this point I was already down to like 52 And the blinds were 800, 1600 with 200 ante And I see pocket threes And what do you do at that spot? If you re-raise Then you're going to start pot committing yourself And you know just by your continuation bid on the flop If you fold your Dropping yourself an opportunity to double up If you hit a set and you're only paying 3500 That's what he raised it to, 3500 You're only paying 3500 to call out of a 52K stack and, and see if you can hit it. So I think that's a correct move. Otherwise, you just sit there and get... If you fold that, I think you're just sitting there waiting to for something better. You just blind yourself off because the, the levels are moving up too fast at that point. After that, it moves to 2K, 4K, then 3K, 6K. I mean, where, where are you going to go? You've got to try to hit something. So I, I tried to call it. A guy called behind me. Flop came 724 with two diamonds. I had black threes. Martin Jacobson fired out 5K. I didn't believe him. I raised it to 12K. The guy behind me went all in. Jacobson immediately folded. So I, I was right about Jacobson, but the uh, the guy to my left, I had a feeling had something. And besides, even if he didn't, <laughs> where a three is going to go. So I, I had to throw it away, obviously. When I busted, I did ask him, were you bluffing me there? Did you have something? Because this guy I, I saw later on did bluff people. but Actually, I saw before that he bluffed people. But he told me he did have something. And I believe him. He told me in a way it didn't seem like he was lying. So, uh, that that was uh, one interesting hand. That was like the only interesting hand there besides the bust-out hand. But it's, you know, I believe, and you guys can tell me I'm wrong, but I believe that uh, set mining is okay even deeper in these tournaments, provided that the cost of set mining is, is fairly low compared to your stack. So, if you have a 52k stack and it costs 3,500 to set mine, I think that's fine. Because I think if you, the good thing about having a stack like that is if you hit the set, 
then you're likely to double up provided your opponent has hit something also. They don't have to hit anything great. Like if they've got top pair, they're going to stack off with you because you don't have enough chips to make them fold. That's the truth. So you're, you're like in a spot where, like if you're both deep, then pocket threes can be a problem because you're going to think, well, who's going to give me a lot of action with bottom set? Probably top and middle set. So you, know, you, you worry about that. And uh, or or if if you're very short stacked, it's it's not worth trying to set mine because you're, you're most of the time you're not going to hit. But I, I thought in this spot is a very good time to set mine because it didn't cost me much, and if I did hit, there was a good chance I'd get paid off if he actually flopped anything. He could not make a tight laydown to a stack like mine, and doubling up in that spot would have been huge. So I thought it was totally worth investing thirty five hundred in. Now, the, the, the question is, do you, when you see a flop-pack 7-4-2 and you think he probably doesn't have it, you think he, you know, since he's raising a lot pre, you think he probably doesn't have a pocket pair and you think you probably, you've probably got him. At that point, do you try to raise him off the, the pot or do you, just, uh, do you just give up because you didn't hit your set? And I, I'm starting to believe that if you are going to set mine like that, you've got to commit to just only set mining. Otherwise, you start to spew too much. Even if, if you think you can win the hand, like, maybe if it's checked to you and you're the last to act, then it's fine, but I, I, I think otherwise you might be spewing even if you are the one who's ahead at the moment because you just can't be secure with that hand, obviously, if you have not hit a set. So I, I, my guess at this point, you guys who play a lot more tournaments than I do, correct me if I'm wrong, but my guess is in that spot with 52K, 800, 1600 blinds, 200 dancies, uh, and, and in a structure where you have to get very deep to get paid well, where it, it moves up very, very slowly, the pay, and where you're really trying to make it deep, not just survive. I, I think you do have to set mine there for sure, but then be disciplined, and if you didn't hit the set, no matter how tempting it is on a low board, you, you just check fold. Otherwise, you're then you're committing the chips you shouldn't be committing. That's that's where I think I may have made a mistake. So the main event it, it moves slower. It's not the same thing. The levels move a lot slower there, so that won't apply. But I'll think about that as the main event. Like if I'm going to set mine and can't afford the chips to spew to try to win the pot if I don't hit the set, that I probably should just give up. And. It was an interesting experience at hand. I've been in that situation a number of times before. This is like the first time I really thought about it. Like, what do you do with those threes? A number of people said fold them. A lot of number of people said just get rid of them. It's not worth it. It's a mistake. And I, got, I don't believe it. I just I can't be convinced that's a mistake to at least just only call the 3,500 and see where you go when you have a stack that people are probably going to stack off against because you don't, you don't have enough to make them fold if they have like top pair. I think there's too much of a chance that when you hit those threes, that you will get action. Or they're not going to fold a draw either. They make a flush, they have a flush draw, a straight draw, they're going to they're call that off too for sure. So I, I think... I think it's the right move. All right, enough strategy discussion. This is, this, this is not a strategy show. But every time I play a tournament, I get a new experience that I think, you know... Let me think about that for the future. I think it makes me a better player. Sometimes things make me a worse player, actually, though, because I... Things get in my head too much that happened in the past, and I start fearing them happening again. 
Like, I think about how I played the main event in 2010, and I, I played that very well. When I finished 88th, I didn't just get lucky. Like, I didn't I didn't have cards through most of that. I, I was below average stacked, and I, I got all the way through six days of the main event with really mediocre cards. Because I, I just played it right. I saw everything right. I, I made the moves at the right time. I, uh, I didn't spew chips. Uh, that was definitely my best played main event. Best performance and best played. So, in some ways, I, I I wish I could return to be that same player. I think I haven't played as well in these no limit events as I did in that one. But but you're not always you know at your top of your game every time you play. So, but I but I have learned things since then that uh, I, I try to incorporate in for future tournaments I play. And like when I played the first day of the bounty event, I thought I really saw everything really well there. I really knew the right moves to make with everything. Made a lot of good reads. Almost all of them were right. So. We'll see. See what happens to the main. So I want to talk about the social media sign-in requirement for the World Series of Poker updates page on WSOP.com. And I know what you're saying. Oh, no, not this again. <laughs> We're so tired about hearing this, too. And I look, I, I'm not going to give you ways around it. I'm not going to tell you um, what site to go to to learn how to read those updates because guess what? They have re-enabled the ability to read them without signing in. Yeah. After Seth Polanski insisted to me in an email that this is not going away, that the sign-in will always be there, that that's a way for them to make some money back on this service, which costs them money, and they're losing so much money, blah, 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 blah. Not then they're not, you know, he wasn't saying they're losing on the World Series, because obviously they're not, but on, on providing the updates to the World Series, which I thought was not a very good argument, because that's just a, a cost of doing business. You, you make a ton of money on the World Series itself. One element of providing it is giving updates to people who are fans of it to keep it a successful event that people are interested in watching and playing and being fans of. So you don't charge people for providing that content. Well, I guess they finally realized the error of their ways, and they just quietly removed those required social media sign-ins. You had to sign in either on Google Plus or Facebook, and then they would start spamming you with advertisements for their social gaming, like their free online games. I guess they finally realized that this was not a good idea. My guess is that they were looking at their numbers and seeing that very few people were actually signing up or signing in through Google Plus or Facebook, that most people were probably just closing it and not bothering, or they were using the workarounds that have been passed around the Internet. So they probably realized all they were doing is pissing off their customers. They probably realized it was a mistake in the first place because they took it all down. Well, obviously they realized it was a mistake or they wouldn't have reversed it. So... Props to them for reversing it, but what a dumb idea. And I, I tried to explain it. I tried to explain it in email. I laid out all my points that people do not want a barrier of entry to read about the World Series. If there's a fan of the World Series, you want to keep those fans happy. You don't want to make it tough for them to follow updates about their brand. I stated that a lot of people who use those sites are older relatives of the players who don't have Facebook or Google Plus accounts. 
Most people over 60 do not have social media accounts. Some do, most don't. So if you want your mom or your dad reading about your progress or looking at the chip counseling where your name is there, you don't want mom or dad to not be able to get in because of this dumb thing to have a, you have to sign in through Facebook or Google Plus, which mom and dad probably don't have. So I laid out all those points and at first I was dismissed as always, but, and it wasn't just me. A lot of people complained, but they, they came to their senses and they removed it. So now for the uh, remainder of the World Series starting, I don't know, about a week ago, you can now read the updates with no social media sign in. Beautiful. Okay, so let's see what else we got here. The Lemon Hold'em Shootout. I didn't play that this year because it didn't exist. I didn't play it last year. It did not exist. I didn't play it the year before. It did not exist. It may have existed in 2013. I don't remember when it stopped, but it stopped either in 2012 or 2013. Bottom line is that the event should not have disappeared in the first place. Now, you may say, what are you talking about, Todd? Of course it should be gone. Limit Hold'em's a dying game. Who wants to play a Limit Hold'em shootout? That's a good event to get rid of, you may think. No. The Limit Hold'em shootout is a very well-liked event. The players who play it really enjoy it. Everybody enjoys it. You ask players in the Limit Hold'em shootout, they go, oh, I love this thing. This is so cool. I really enjoy it. Like Everybody loves it. I talked to everyone at the... I talked to a number of people at the... 3K Limit Hold'em event because that got very poor numbers. That got uh, much lower numbers than the previous year. So I have a feeling that one's going to go away. That one only got uh, the low 200s in entrance and they were expecting over 300. So that's not good. I have a feeling they're going to kill it because they already killed it in 2014 and brought it back. So they should replace it with the Limit Hold'em shootout if they remove it. And I was talking with people there, and they agreed. They agreed that the Limit Hold'em shootout was a great event that everyone enjoyed. It drew good numbers. It drew not great numbers, but good numbers. It drew about five to 600 people every time. You may say, no, that's not, that's not very good. What about these uh, no-limit events? What they, they always draw thousands of people. So who cares about five or 600? Well... To compare the 1500 Limit Hold'em event, the non-shootout version, that draws like six-something every year. So this draws like five-something. It's definitely worth doing, and I'll tell you especially why it's worth doing for the World Series, for the Caesars Corporation. It's very easy to put on, because it's over very quickly. These are not three long, grueling days of poker, where they have to take up a large portion of the room, pay a lot of floor men pay a lot of dealers. No. It moves very quickly. You have your day one, and it all tends to be over within about six hours. You have your day two. Again, it's over within about six hours, sometimes even less. Then you have your day three, which is the final table. That's over probably, again, within six hours. Three nice short days. Easy on your staff. Easy on your dealers, easy on the space that you have to provide these tournaments because these tables become available so quickly. After six hours, they're all available. And you make rake from five to six hundred people every time. And 
everyone enjoys it. So what's the downside? What is the downside? Now let's say World Series, you got your 300 people that you were expecting for the 3K limit event. You didn't, the 3K 6 max I'm talking about. The limit 6 max. You didn't get your 300, but let's say you got your 300. Well, you actually make about the same rake on 300 people at a $3,000 buy-in event as you do as you would for like 500-something people for a 1500 event because the rake's actually higher at the 1500 percentage-wise. So you're making about the same rake overall, but the 6-max event, you're taking up tables. You're taking up because there's only six people per table. So you're taking up a lot of tables there compared to a, a normal event with 300 people. And it takes longer. you got to run it for three full long days. Not the shootout. So the shootout makes sense to be running. There's really no downside. I could see if the event was a failure and you were getting like 150 people for it and you're going, well, you know, I don't care if people like it, we don't get the turnout. You get five or 600 people. That's more than a lot of your other events. That's a respectable turnout for a $1,500 limit poker event. And it's over quickly. It's easy to put on. Put it back. And I, I sent this over to uh, Seth Polanski to forward to Jack Effel. I may start a campaign when it gets closer to, the, to deciding what events to have next year. I, I don't want to overwhelm them with this now because they'll forget. Right now they're focused on the current World Series. I don't want to talk much about the 2017 Series. But when this is all over and when they start to get in the mode of thinking whether what they're going to do next year, I, I'm going to try to get other limit players in on this to try to get them to restore this event. There's no reason not to have it. Well, there is reason at the Rio to have ice-cold AC in the summer. Las Vegas gets very, very hot during the World Series. On June 20th, which is a Monday, it was the day of the Extended Play No Limit event, June 20th, also happened to be the summer solstice. Very, very hot day in Vegas, 115 degrees there at the Rio. 115 degrees! Day before, I think, was like 109. Day after, I think, was 111. So as you can imagine, you need a pretty good AC to keep your room nice and cool. Well, I had uh, left my Rio room on the 18th. I checked out temporarily for two days. I spent two days uh, as a hotel mate with Brandon. We actually shared the same room for two nights from the 18th to the 20th uh, at the Palazzo. And then on the 20th, I left Brandon's Palazzo room and went back to the Rio, where I stayed for the remainder of the time. I'm no longer at the Rio. I'm back in my uh, usual location. But I stayed for uh, about eight nights, starting the 20th, in the same room. On the 20th, I got there at the hottest time of day, which is 5 p.m. And yes, 5 p.m. is the hottest time of day in Vegas, not... uh, not 2 p.m. as you might think, but 5 p.m. Because what happens, I, oh, I, I technically got to the Rio before that. I played the summer solstice event, but after I, but I just had my stuff in my car. Uh, when I busted, then I went back to my car, got all my stuff out, and uh, actually went to the room and checked in. It was hot. It was hot in the room. And I thought, oh, maybe they don't have the AC on. But then I got closer and I heard 
Mm, yep, the AC was on, and the AC was set all the way down to like 63 degrees. But it was hot in there. So I go, uh-oh, AC's been on all day in this unoccupied room, and it's really hot. That's a problem. So I've had this problem before. The problem is at the Rio, they do not maintain their air conditioning systems. And by maintain, I mean they have to maintain each individual unit in each individual room. They have to do two things to maintain it, aside from just keeping it running. Number one, they need to change the filter, and they need to change that regularly. And number two, they need to make sure the coils don't get clogged. The coils are basically what's making the AC and also the heat during the winter work. The coils have either hot or cold water running through them, and then air blows over those coils, which then takes on the temperature of, uh, of, the, of what it had blown over, and then the cold or hot air comes out depending on the temperature of the water being pushed through those coils. Well, what happens, though, if the coils are clogged, then not very much cold or hot water can get through them, and the cooling or heating system is ineffective. So last year I had a filter problem, and boy, was it tough to get someone up there to fix that. I waited and waited and waited and waited. They kept saying 20 more minutes, 20 more minutes, 20 more minutes, and I'm, I, I sat there for hours, and I was furious. So remembering that, this year I decided that I'm not only going to ask them to come up and uh, fix this unit, but also I want to get a timetable from them that's honest. So I called up the Rio front desk, told them what's going on. They said, oh yeah, because it's 115 degrees today, we have a lot of calls about the AC. So we've got a lot of these complaints today, and uh, it may be a little while. And I said, okay, well, can you give me a timetable of how long I'll be waiting? You know, if, it, if it's going to be a few hours, you know, I'd like to know. Maybe I'll leave the room and come back. She said, no. <laughs> now, I said, wait a minute. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. I'm not asking for you to be up here immediately. I understand there's other requests ahead of mine, and I'm not asking to jump over these requests. I'm saying, can you tell me how long I will be waiting so I know what time I'm looking at? So if I know the guy won't be here for three hours, maybe I'll leave for two and a half and come back in two and a half. So can you tell me again what is the timetable of when they'll be here? She says, I can't tell you that. <laughs> so I said, well, I, I don't understand why not. She said, well, because if we gave you a timetable and we didn't make that timetable, then you'll be frustrated about it. And I said, look, I'm not expecting the timetable to be followed to the minute. But I just want to know generally, is it going to be 20 minutes? Is it going to be six hours? Is it going to be three hours? Is it going to be nine hours? Can you give me a general timetable of when the maintenance man will be here? And she said, no. (laughs) And she was treating me like I was crazy. And I said, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just spend my life in this room until the guy is able to come up? Why, Why can't you call the maintenance department and say, how many jobs are ahead of this guy? And you know, uh, so if we add one more job to the queue, how long will, do you think it'll be approximately till you're there? Why can't they ask them that simple question? For some reason, they couldn't, they wouldn't, and in fact, they were treating me like I was crazy to want to know the answer to that. And I just wasn't having it. I said, <laughs> I said no, you're gonna. I I need to know a timetable. They said, well, no, look, if you, if it's going to be too long, then why don't you just leave the room? They'll just come in. And I said, sure, I'm. Uh, I'd love to just uh, trust a stranger in there with all my stuff while I'm gone. That's that's exactly what I'm looking to do. (laughs) So 
uh, and keep in mind these maintenance men. I think they can even like do things like open the safe or whatever. So like that, like I'm not leaving the maintenance man in my room alone. Just tell me when the guy will be here. Damn it. So finally, after I'm just arguing, 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 and, and insisting that a timetable is something that is reasonable to ask for, she was just telling me I'm unreasonable to want this. She researched it, she looked into it, she called me back and shockingly said that they will be up there in 20 minutes, which I thought, oh, wow, cool. So indeed, the guy came up with like 15 to 20 minutes and he checked the filter, the filter was fine, but the coils, the coils were all clogged. What a shocker. So he cleaned out the coils, sprayed some stuff in there turned it on and the AC was ice cold and he admitted the AC that was coming out before was was pretty warm he said it was like 70 degrees coming out of that which is not going to cool the room very much I mean 70 is cooler than the 115 outside but it's not going to get the room cool if if the room is hot already you don't blow 70 degree air in there it's not going to do very much for you so once he, he cleared the coils then it was working as intended and he admitted, yeah, they should have maintained it. They should have, uh, this should have been done a long time ago without me calling. I found out from somebody else who stayed at the Rio that they had an AC problem on that same day, except it was the filter for them. So the Rio, they're just not maintaining this stuff until people complain. Like this person told me he complained and eventually maintenance got up there. The same thing where they wouldn't give him a timetable. Once they got up there, uh, it was the filter. They took out the filter and it looked filthy, like it was full of dust. Like, it looked like it hadn't been changed in ages, which it probably hadn't been. So the Rio just doesn't seem to care. They seem to only change when someone complains. So if you go in your room and the AC is not working right, uh, make sure to speak up because it just means they haven't been maintaining the unit well. Uh, speaking of no maintenance, I, when I went into the, the shower in the morning, the shower curtain was full, and I really mean full, of dirt and mold. <laughs> And, and when I say full of it, I don't just mean like streaks of mold on the bottom or something. I'm, I'm not trying to be a, a neat freak. I mean big, big brown patches all over it. It was disgusting looking. It was really disgusting looking. Like, I, sh- I wish I took a picture. It had big brown patches all over that shower curtain. So when I called up to have them change that, they were kind of dismissive. They kind of – yeah, like they were willing to do it, but I could tell they kind of had the attitude like that I was just being uh, like a neat freak or – over-obsessed with cleanliness. And then the guy came up, and he's like, yeah, I have a shower curtain. I said, yeah, this thing was really bad. He's like, uh-huh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go replace it. Like, I, I, could tell he t- he, I could tell he totally did not believe me, but he was just doing it because he had to. <laughs> and then he went into the bathroom and looked at the old shower curtain, and the first thing he said was, whoa, well, okay, yeah, you're right. Wow, that, that did need to be replaced. I can't believe that's in there. <laughs> so he went in there believing that I was just full of shit, and then when he saw it, he couldn't believe it. I just regret I didn't take a picture. But boy, that was a gross shower curtain. When I was taking that shower, I was making sure I did not make contact with my body. I was just like, I was standing, and it's like a a bathtub shower. So I'm just standing as far away from the curtain as I can and just trying not to look at it so I don't throw up. It it was really nasty. They also didn't have a light bulb in the, that that was over the tub. There's like, there's two lights in that bathroom with the shower. There's a a light over the toilet and a light over the, the bathtub. And the problem is if you close the curtains, while you're taking the shower, which of course you have to, or otherwise water sprays everywhere. 
then it gets dark in there. You need a light over your head. Well, the light bulb was out. I asked about replacing that light bulb, and they said that is a maintenance request. They can't give me a timetable. (laughs) So I said, okay, you know what? Forget the light bulb. I'll just shower in relative darkness. I can handle that. At least I have a clean shower curtain now. At least I have a working AC, so I'll just I'll just deal with the with a dark light bulb. It's okay. Got another light bulb in the room. It's kind of, it's, you know, it's pretty dim in the shower here, but I'll I'll deal with it. I can I can shower in, in partial darkness. I don't want to go through this maintenance thing again. Every time I stay at the Rio, I do a favor for the next guest because I always find things that are wrong, and not like little things. Like I find major things that are wrong that for whatever reason the previous guests just dealt with. And, and I force them to be fixed so the next guest benefits. Like the next guest is going to have a cool AC. And he's also going to have a shower curtain that's clean. In fact, if it wasn't 3.30 in the morning, I would call the guys. I know the room number. I would call him right now and <laughs> tell him he needs to thank me for the room being improved like this. But I'm not going to bother him at 3.30 in the morning. Last year, I got a door lock fixed that was all messed up. I got uh, the AC fixed with the filter thing. I got the refrigerator fixed. I mean, I'm like the, I really am like the the quality control inspector of the Rio. I think the number of rooms that they maintain on their own without anyone complaining is zero point zero. Okay. Another Rio story. Greg Shahad or Shahadi, I don't know how you say his name. It's S H A H A D E. Greg Shahad or Shahadi. Uh, he kind of looks like a hippie. If you take a look at his Twitter, if you Google him, uh, just Google Greg Shahad with an E at the end. And I, I guess there's a Greg Shahad who's a chess master. It's not the same guy. Is it? Maybe it is the same guy. Maybe it's the same dude. That's interesting if it's the same guy. Let me see. It's hard to tell because the guy in this picture is pretty clean cut. No, I think it's a different Greg Shahad. Okay. Anyway, the, the Greg Shahad on Twitter is just twitter.com slash Greg Shahad. You know what? Maybe it's the same guy. I think it is the same guy. All right, I guess he's a chess master too. All right, so uh, I didn't know who he was. Apparently he's like a social justice warrior type, and I didn't know that either, which would have made me dislike him. But uh, he tweeted out a very interesting video. The video said, this is what's happening in my Rio room right now. And he was clearly in the Rio. He was taking a video with his phone, and in the video you saw a wire. almost looked like a hanger. That's like about how thick it was. Like a wire come under the door, and it was bendable. It was like a bendable wire that came under the door, through the little crack in the door. Talk about the front door. And it had a little knot at the end. So the thing came under the door, bent, so it was up against the door on the inside, felt around the door, almost like a person feeling around in the dark. And then by feeling around the inside of the door, 
was able to locate the door handle, pulled the little notch over the door handle. Again, this is someone doing this from outside the room by sticking this thing under the door to get inside. And then pulled the thing down and the door, the locked door, opened. Oh, my. So they used a, a crude device, whoever was doing this on the other side of this door. Now, Greg was trying to be dramatic and imply like, that someone's trying to break in his room. And he stopped the video just as the door was opening, so you didn't get to see who was on the other side. So he was trying to get everyone all riled up. But this really did happen. It turned out it was actually Rio security, and that he knew they were doing it, and that they were doing this uh, because the, the door lock was broken. And I, I guess, now you may ask, well, how is he in the room if the door lock's broken? Why doesn't he just walk out? If he's stuck in there, why doesn't he just walk out? Like, if it can be open like that, and if he's not, not stuck in there, why do they need to do that? He can just open the door himself. But apparently they tried to, hit, the door lock was broken, they tried to use that device, they couldn't get in with it, and then somehow they got in some other way, and then they were testing it a second time and were able to do it. So that's why he got it on video and knew it would be happening. Because they said, hey, you know, go back in the room. We're going to try this one more time. See if we can get it to work this time just for our, our future usage of this device, making sure it still works. So knowing that was coming, he took a video of it and then decided to be cute and post it on Twitter. So nothing sinister about it, but it was pretty disturbing to watch this because this was not a device that would be hard to duplicate. This was not a device that was advanced or hard to manufacture. This was just like a long wire type thing with a notch at the end, you know, something that could kind of grab onto a door handle and that was bendable. So honestly, if you got a, a somewhat thick wire, not really thick, but kind of, kind of like a wire hanger consistency and rigged it so it was bendable once it was in there, you know, once you sl- once you slid it under the door, which it fits, it fits under the door at the Rio. Once you slid it under the door, if you could bend it to where it, it would be up against the the door on the inside, and then you could move it over to where the door handle is, and then latch that little notch at the end. Which it, the notch is it's, it's also a piece of wire. It's the same piece of wire is bent. So you just put the notch over the door handle, pull it down, and the door opens. This is not hard to duplicate. This is not hard to make. It doesn't require a locksmith or a criminal mastermind to manufacture. Uh, really, I, I think if you know, I'm not even like a really handy guy, but I think even I could make that device if uh, I put enough effort into it. And when I say enough effort, I don't mean to be like a super long project. I mean like could probably go down to the Home Depot and get the right stuff to build this thing, and then test it on my doors at home. So this could be used to break in. To any Rio room Which is either unoccupied Or not latched And the worst thing about this Is there's no record of who's doing it See the good thing about these key cards Is that if somebody uses a key card to enter your room The door remembers Who entered with a key card So they can pull from the door Who used their key card So like let's say the maid did it Well they could see if the maid came in So if something disappeared from your room Then they could blame the maid If If uh uh, someone from maintenance came in with their key card and suddenly disappeared. They would blame the maintenance guy. So they they could question whoever came in. They could identify whoever came in unless the key card was stolen. So that at least gives you a degree of protection when you're not in your room. 
in that the key cards trace back to someone. But this is untraceable because no key cards are being used. They're slipping a wire device under the door to grab onto the door handle and pull it down and open the door. Now, let's say you use the deadbolt. You know, you know when you turn the deadbolt, that's uh, double locks the door. Will that stop this? No, because if you open the door from the inside, then the deadbolt automatically opens. I tried this just to make sure. So that device will also get through the deadbolt, the deadbolt because the deadbolt will just open right up because the door is being opened from the inside, not the outside. The only way to stop this is to latch the door. There's a little latch on the top. You can put the latch up there. That cannot be defeated by this device. But you can only latch the room when you're in the room. There's no way to latch it when you're outside of the room. So if you leave the room, you are vulnerable to this device. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Anybody who has this device, anybody in security, anybody who duplicates this device can come into your Rio room. So keep that in mind and keep your valuables away from being accessed. Even if you want to use the room safe. The room safe is not foolproof, but at least uh, it's not easy to get into. Now, you may say, am I helpless? Is there nothing I can do to stop this? Well, there is something you can do to stop this. If you are really concerned about this, you can put something relatively heavy. It doesn't have to be super heavy, but you can put something relatively heavy in the way of the door, specifically under where the door lock is. So, like, let's say you you can put your luggage, you can put your suitcase uh, under where the door handle is, and then that device won't work because what will happen is they'll try to slide the device down under the door and get under the door handle, and they'll run into your suitcase. And they can't move your suitcase because it's in the room. So that's one way to stop it. That's the uh, the upside to the, doing that. The downside is you're going to have your heavy suitcase in the way, and every time you come into the room, you're going to have to like force the door open past your suitcase, which is a pain in the ass. Like, like who wants to open the door and have a heavy thing in the way every time? So one way you can keep your room semi-secure is just not don't tell anyone what your room number is. Don't bring strangers to your room. Uh, don't tell people your room number because they can't call the Rio and ask your room number. And that won't stop you from being randomly targeted, but it will stop you from being individually targeted, such as when people know you're out of the room. But that's very crappy that that device exists. Now, I would direct you to the video, but the video is gone. Uh, it, it was up for a while, but very recently, Greg Shahad removed it. Uh, what's also interesting is after this, and totally unrelated to this, me and Greg Shahad got into it about a totally separate matter on Twitter, where he was uh, he was bashing me on Twitter, totally unrelated to this, and after he had posted this video. In fact, I, I made reference to the video, and on Twitter I, I, I tweeted to him to stay out of things that he doesn't understand and, and go back to posting more fake Rio room breaking videos. So that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to shock people. Oh my god, his Greg's room is being broken into and he doesn't know what to do. Like, it looked like a, a scary, ominous situation where he, this device comes under the door and opens up your door and it slowly opens up and then it ends right there. You don't get to see what happens. What happened to poor Greg? But no, it's just real security. Which he admitted after people gave him a hard time about it and accused this of being, like, fake or staged. Then he explained it. So I'm not just theorizing here. I mean, that's really what it was. 
Yeah, it is the same guy. See, the, there was another picture of him that was up before, like him with this like weird multicolored hair. So I, I thought it was a different guy than the one in the chest picture. But now, now the picture he has on, it's like this balding late 30s guy. And it's like a picture of him lifting weights or something. So it's, it's the same dude. <laughs> and he's a, a social justice warrior type, my favorite. My very, very favorite. And uh, I even see a lot of the usual social justice warrior types are following him on Twitter. Dr. Jacqueline Moscow follows him. She's just in a story tonight. In fact, that's uh, what me and him were arguing about. So, interesting video, though. Kind of douchey to put it out there as if uh, someone's breaking into his room to get attention, but... Interesting to see that device in action. I never thought they had something like that. I did wonder what do they do if the lock is broken, but I thought they just unscrew it or something. But this, they can just reach that device under there. I just hope nobody duplicates it. I don't think Rio Security is going to be breaking into people's rooms and stealing things, but it's not that hard to duplicate that device. Okay, finally, as far as our World Series topics, Chris Ferguson, as you know, has been at the World Series he made a final table. Fortunately, he only finished fourth. He did not uh, win it. Nobody wanted to see him win. There were some people heckling him and booing him. Uh, he's been very unapologetic when people ask him, does he have anything to say to the poker community? Does he have any apologies to give? He just says, I'm here to play poker. I don't want to talk about it. I'm only here to play poker. Well, that's not a good answer. That's not a good answer. Chris was one of the people, one of the four people involved in stealing $300 million from the poker community. You can't just come back to the World Series and say, oh, I'm just here to play poker. Leave me alone. I, yeah, so were we. So were we. We were here on full tilt to play poker, and then you stole our money. A lot of people could not go to the World Series to play poker because you stole their money. So don't give this crap about you're here to play poker. So amazingly, this is uh, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Let's see if I can find the exact uh, quote here. Yeah, this is a tweet from Daniel Negreanu, who's been calling out Chris Ferguson for not apologizing it. Not apologizing. Chris Ferguson was politely asked if he planned to apologize to the poker community. He responded with, What are you talking about? <laughs> He's pretending like he doesn't know why he needs to apologize to people. What are you talking about? Apologize? What? I can't. I, I don't know. Why does anyone think I need to apologize? What, what did I do wrong? What did I do? What did I do? Unbelievable. Like, what a freaking dick. It's better to say nothing than say that. That's really slapping everyone in the face. And uh, Daniel said, if you happen to be seated at Chris Ferguson's table at the, at the WSOP, help him understand why people deserve an apology for trusting him. Donnie Stern tweeted, what an absolute piece of shit regarding Chris Ferguson. I agree. And had he ended up at my table at the 10K limit event, I would have given it to him too. So, 
pretty obnoxious. He just uh, he seems to be like relishing his role as a villain. It's I think he actually is enjoying in a way people expecting him to apologize. He he kind of likes being the bad guy. Well, Brandon may not be on the show, but he's here in spirit. He he just gave me a piece of information. I guess he's listening. So I guess uh, we have low ratings, but it, ratings are one higher than I thought they'd be because Brandon's listening. He said that uh, Greg Shahad is Jennifer Shahad's younger brother. She's the one known as the chess bitch. Now, I don't have a problem with Jennifer. I've heard of her. In fact, I think Brandon knows her. I don't know that much about her, but I like I... I don't have any problem with Jennifer Shahad, but uh, Greg, he, he was kind of a dick to me this week. And uh, over this whole thing with Jacqueline Moscow, and I'll explain shortly why he was mad at me, Greg. But I also thought the thing he did with the video of the Rio, while I'm glad he took the video, uh, maybe he shouldn't have shared it because it does allow copycats to learn how to do this. But uh, I can't criticize him too much for that because I reshared it. But I figured so many people had seen it already, it didn't matter. But I, I think it's better people know that this sort of thing exists. That's why I don't think sharing it's that bad. It's better you know that it exists, so if you want to fight against it and put a, a suitcase in the way or something else in the way of the door. I'm going to try to think about like what's a good thing to put in the way that's, that will block it, but that's not too heavy. Because keep in mind, you don't need a super heavy thing, because you only need something heavy enough that a wire under the door can't push away. You don't need something like really heavy because you're not blocking the door. You're just blocking the wire from doing it. So you need something like moderately heavy but not too heavy to hinder you opening the door. But I may actually start doing this because uh, it disturbed me to see that. Disturbed me to think. Uh, not only that, but if somebody wants to go in your Rio room and attack you, that's one way they have in. You know, have you you know these movies where Someone goes into their hotel room and the bad guy's just sitting there on the couch when they get in there. Sometimes they're like in the person's apartment too or their house. Like they, they just come in and the, the bad guy's just sitting inside. Hello. Nice to see you here. And then like sometimes the bad guy kills them, sometimes the bad guy scares them, whatever. And then you, you, you start to like fear maybe that's going to be you one day, that you're just going to come in and like the bad guy's going to be sitting there. Not the bad guy in the movie, but you know someone who wants to do harm to you. Is going to be sitting there and you're going to have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide because they're just going to be like in your room, in your house, in your apartment, whatever. Uh, so like somebody who really wants to do that, someone who really wants to like go in a hotel room and commit some sort of violent crime against you, they could use a device like that. So it's not just about theft. Where otherwise it's not that easy to get in there. If you think about it. So I may put something in the way of the door so that device will not work. It doesn't have to block the whole door. It just has to block where the door handle is, under the door handle. All right, let's get to the Jacqueline Moscow story. Some updates here. By the way, here's a... A message in chat from Ballhawknet. He said, great, couldn't sleep. Went to put on a random show to fall asleep faster and get live poker fraud alert. Now girlfriend is up and have to give a back massage. House rule, PFA on radio equals back rub? <laughs> I, 
I don't know. Does does your girlfriend dislike the show enough to where you have to give her a back rub if the show is on? I mean, I guess I, I don't know how much you do or don't like rubbing her back, but if you don't like rubbing her back, then I hope the show is worth it to you. Otherwise, uh, I, I feel bad for making you give back rubs in the middle of the night. I guess this is another guy, though, who listens to Fall Asleep. But yeah, it's live. Anyway, let me get to Jacqueline Moscow here. And uh, let's see. Oh, no, before we do that, let's see if we got any texts. Yeah, any texts that came in? Uh, from the 813, can the Colonel give his opinions on Brexit? That's Colonel Nigel Fabersham he's referring to. All right. You asked for it. Colonel Fabersham. Can you give us your opinion on Brexit with uh, England, with the UK, not just England, with the UK exiting the European Union? Uh, uh, all right. Um, I knew that someone would want to know about this because I'm the only Brit who reliably appears on this show. I mean, I know we have this belly buster chap, and yeah, I understand that he runs the poker room. I understand that he's very helpful to you. I know, you know, he buys pieces of you in the the World Series of Poker, and you know, he donates to the free rolls. And I, I know he's he's a nice individual. All right, he's nice, but he does not bring to the show what I do. And I know that when you want to hear about an opinion. About a British matter. You don't go to Belly Buster. No, you, you don't go to him. Say, oh, Belly Buster, um, how do you feel about the Brexit? No, 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 no. You, you don't go to him. You go to Colonel Nigel Fabersham. That's who you go to about all things British. All right. Now, so let me tell you how I feel about it. And people may say, uh, Colonel, how did you vote on the Brexit? How, how did you, did you vote for them to leave or for you to remain? What was your, was your vote on the matter? All right. Well, it's not a, a simple issue. All right. Um, there are benefits to the European Union that uh, Britain has been part of for quite some time. But um, there's a number of problems that um, eventually bubbled to the surface and it what brought this whole thing on. Uh, the problems with the immigration, the problems with the, uh, the disproportionate fees that uh, England has been paying into, the UK has been paying into it. A lot of people started to get the feeling that we were not getting out of it what we were putting in. It, it's kind of like, have you ever been in a relationship? You know, you're, you're with some bird, all right? And, uh, and and she is not treating you as well as you're treating her. For example, let's, let's talk about this ball hawk net individual, all right? He has to give her back rubs when he listens to PFA radio. Now, I bet when she puts on a radio show that he does not want to listen to, or a television show he does not want to watch, or something to that order, even a YouTube video that does not strike his fancy, that she does not give him any sort of rub. I bet she doesn't give him a back rub. I bet she does not give him a foot rub. I bet she doesn't even give him a bloody hand job when this happens. All right? So it's inequitable. And this is the feeling that many in Britain had about the EU, that it was not equitable, that the, the, that the UK was putting more into the EU than it was getting out of it. And this was grinding on some people's nerves. And they said, you know... It will be a painful separation, much like divorce or breaking up with a long-term girlfriend. There's, there's many things that change in your life that are a pain in the butt, all right? And, and when you do that, um, there's a lot of growing pains. There's a lot of issues you have to go through to resolve because all of a sudden you're on your own when you haven't been on your own for a long time. 
Okay, so this is a, a divorce where the 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 UK felt that they were not getting out of the relationship as much as they were putting in. Not not the greatest majority felt that, but a small majority, at least the ones that decided to show up and vote on the matter. Um, I realized there were some uninformed voters that uh, went and voted to leave that uh, just fell in love with the rhetoric and uh, didn't really follow the issues. And But that's in every election, and I'm sure you had those on the other side. You had those who were on the Remain side that were also voting on it that knew very little about the matter. Now, I'm not saying I'm necessarily pro-Brexit. There's, 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 um, I kind of have mixed feelings about the situation, but I understand it. I understand it. And, uh, um, you know, having been in relationships myself where I've put much more in than I've gotten out... You know, there's actually one that you guys are probably very familiar with. Well, I've put much more in than I've gotten out. And that's with this show. All right? I, I have put much more into this show than I've ever gotten out of it. You know, what, what do I get from, from anyone here for being on Poker Fraudulent Radio? Uh, you know, does, does, does Dandruff give me anything for appearing here? He, do, he doesn't even give me a shilling. He, he gives me nothing. I don't get a hay penny from him. I, I don't get anything from Drexel. I don't get anything from anyone. I appear on the show for people's entertainment. I make phone calls. I, I get important information when there's some situation there. Like, oh, Co- Colonel Fabersham needs to call the casino and find it. Why is it always me? Why do I always have to find out what is going on with these casinos that, that Dandruff is talking about on this bloody show? I, this is not my job, but I do it anyway. I put more in than I get out. So for that reason, I'm not going to contribute anymore tonight. Tally-ho, pip-pip, and let's get on with it. No, there's your answer. And Colonel Fabersham was kind of uh, he also he kind of answered that like a politician. He didn't really give a, a position on it. He just said he has mixed feelings and he understood it. Hmm. <coughs> <coughs> That's not good. Ouch. <coughs> I'm not, I'm not going to vomit on radio, I promise. Just as the colonel went off, I uh, drank some water, and it just completely went down the wrong way. I'm sure you've had that happen before. It takes a few minutes to, to recover, and it feels like you're drowning. There we go. It's back. My voice is back. <laughs> I, I was trying to be quick on the mute to just turn myself down. So I didn't have the embarrassment of choking on water on the radio, but I I was not quick enough. And then when I thought it was over, I turned it back on and I still couldn't talk. But we're back. I'm, I did not drown from a bottle of Fiji water. See, this is, if you're not running a live show, this is the type of thing you can take out. Like the 2 plus 2 poker cast, they don't have... Adam Schwartz choking on water. That's why he makes the big bucks, and I don't. Okay, let's let's talk about Jacqueline Moscow. The show's been on for almost two hours, and I, I want to get it done by the three-hour mark. And we've got this and four other topics. Jacqueline Moscow and Nolan Dalla have been going at it for a long time. We've talked about it on other shows. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. But uh, basically, a very quick summary. Jacqueline Moscow from Florida... She's a 
early 30s, blonde Jewish poker player. Wasn't very well known outside of uh, the Florida cash game circles. She appeared on Poker Night in America. Uh, She went to the taping in November 2014 and had a bad experience there in Pittsburgh at that taping. She made the following allegations a year and a half later, in May of 2016, late May, the one week before the World Series started. She made the allegations that, number one, producer Todd Anderson was very rude to her and said she was only there because Nolan must have a thing for her. That is Nolan Dalla, who was involved with the show. Uh, Chris Hansen, not the same guy who does the uh, To Catch a Predator shows, but uh, Chris Hansen, who's on these poker shows, uh, he's the host of Poker Night in America, and he supposedly said to her, you know what's great about Poker Night in America that's different from all other shows? We don't have Jews here. There's no Jews on Poker Night in America. So she claimed she was offended by that because she's Jewish and didn't know why he would say such a thing to her. And the most serious of the allegations was that at an after party at a bar called the Tilted Kilt, which is similar to Hooters, that she went up to Nolan, said to Nolan, hey, you know, uh, Todd Anderson said the only reason I'm on this show is because you have a thing for me. And Nolan allegedly said, oh, I do. And I've wanted to do this for a long time. Hey, guys, watch this. And then buried his, hand, buried his head in her very large breasts, in her cleavage, and went, and motorboated it. He motorboated, according to Jacqueline Moscow. So those are the accusations against Poker Night in America. And uh, Chris Capra... Uh, a who didn't work for Poker Night in America, but he was a rep for 888, which sponsored Poker Night in America. She accused that she accused him of cheering on the motorboating with with uh, Nolan. And uh, so there's been a big controversy about this. People haven't known which side to believe. Both have opposite stories. Nolan came back with a denial. Chris Hansen did not give comment. Todd Anderson did not give comment. Chris Capra did not give comment. But uh, some people thought that this was just a shakedown because it also came out that Jacqueline Moscow was asking for various forms of settlement. First, she wanted more appearances on the show. She wanted editorial control of removing hands where she didn't play well. Uh, she then uh, was demanding $100,000 when they were offering her 15000 or 20000 to go away. So she was definitely trying to gain from it. So people were wondering, hmm, did this even happen or did she just make all this up or really exaggerate to try to either further her poker career or get a big cash payout? At the same time, she started to release slowly various pieces of evidence such as text messages and other things like that, which did seem to back her story that something did happen there. And coming into about a week ago, the general belief was that, yes, Nolan probably did motorboat her. Not not for sure, but it was thought that probably happened. Uh, the circumstances she described under which it happened seemed like uh, she wasn't telling the whole story because, uh, you know, it turned out that she was doing uh, shots of alcohol up her nose and she was uh, drinking with them for hours. And so it was a different environment. She didn't just walk up to him and he did motorboat her. Like they had been drinking together and uh, socializing for hours when this allegedly occurred. So that kind of changes it somewhat. Not that he should have done it. You know, I'm not saying it's appropriate to just motorboat a girl who doesn't necessarily want it. Uh, you only do that to a, a girl that you know for sure wants it. You, otherwise, it's, it, it is uh, uh, very rude to do that and, and uh, you know, it's sexual harassment. So 
I'm not saying that was right to have done if Nolan did that, but it's it's different than her original narrative. Uh, but from the text messages from Chris Capra that were out there where Chris was basically acknowledging that stuff had happened. He didn't name it specifically, but she was texting to him about everything that happened and uh, that some people would make a big deal about this, but she isn't. And, uh, you know, and hey, when can I be on the next show? Which she was basically using this to blackmail them to be on the next episode without directly saying that. But, but the way Chris responded, Chris Capra, uh, seemed to imply that he knew about these things and that, uh, you know, he wasn't saying, what? Nobody did that to you. Like, it seemed like he, you know, he was apologizing for the, quote, inappropriate behavior. It seemed like probably, not sure, but probably he knew of these things and they really occurred. So that, that was the belief. But the one thing that was still very much in doubt was the Jews thing. People thought that there's just no way that Chris Hansen, the host of Poker Night in America, would have told a complete stranger this statement about Jews that like it's just it's a weird thing to say and do because you know he doesn't know her it's not like he's joking about Jews with one of his buddies he, this is a stranger not only doesn't he know if she's Jewish but uh, even a lot of non-Jews would be offended by such language so it seems strange that just after he meets her he'd say oh you know what you know what's so great about this show we don't have Jews here like like who would ever say that even if they really felt that way even if they really were anti-Semitic why would you tell a complete stranger like that not knowing how they'd react and knowing that they might tell people that you said such a thing. So a lot of people, myself included, thought that there has to be something missing from this and that he, he must not have said that and that she must be telling some altered version of the story. Well, maybe not, because this recording has been obtained. Now, it's not known who recorded it. At, at first it was thought that she recorded it, but the person who's presented this recording is claiming a third party recorded this, which I don't know if that's true or not, but anyway... Either way, this is clearly a setup. Either way, she went to talk to Chris Hansen about this the next day and confront him about saying this about Jews, and someone was recording it on purpose. Someone was trying to get his answer to this on tape so they could uh, use it against him later if necessary. So here's the recording, which I will warn you is not that clear, but I will give you the uh, transcription of this afterwards. Yes. You were really, really nice about it. I was telling you how you guys were all so nice and how great it was because you're from the Midwest and you said, like, oh yeah, the Kings, like, there's some, you know, there's some Jews in the show. Right? Okay, so I'm going to stop right there. She says, hey, Chris, is yes. You remember the other night at the bar when blah, 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 you guys were so nice and how great it was because, quote, because you were from the Midwest and you said, ah, uh, uh, yeah, that was the key was that, uh, like, uh, you know, there's no Jews on this show, right? And then he said, right. So that's, I mean, he's saying right, like he said that. So then she goes on. That's what I mean, you know, I'm Jewish. Oh, I didn't mean anything. <laughs> so she's like, I just want to let you know I'm Jewish. And he's like, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. She's like, yeah, I just want to let you know. And she kind of laughs nervously. I know it's the norm. Right, yeah. We were talking about why every why the show was so great and oh. why, why everyone was so nice. Oh, oh well, I, I apologize. So, I didn't. I, I, I apologize. So he's definitely apologizing for. It. He definitely feels like embarrassed that she is Jewish and that she's confronting him about this. And he's even talking about you know he said I didn't mean anything by it. It's more of with the, like TV that's and then he, she says I know that's the norm. He says right yeah you know because. It's known in TV, it, basically in the entertainment industry, there's a lot of Jews. It's, it's a disproportionate number of Jews 
by far, involved in the entertainment industry, and that goes all the way back to the beginning of Hollywood. So he was trying to say, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. It's more of like with, with TV, that's like you're trying to say, well, with TV, it's all Jews. Like, that's what he's trying to say. And then she said back, I know that's the norm. And she said, he said, right, yeah. And then she said, yeah, but we were talking about why, every, why, why the show was so great and why everyone was so nice, because there's no Jews. And he's like, oh, well, I apologize then. I, I, I didn't. She says, yeah, I just want to let you know. He's like, uh, uh, I, I apologize. So, I mean, that sounds pretty incriminating. <laughs> She's not that clear, but if you listen really carefully, and I, I, have, I posted on page 13 of the thread on the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum, you can find this, this and play it over and over if you want. And you can hear that the, the transcript here that really does correspond to what's being said here, even though she's mumbling. So listen again. Hi, Chris. Yes. It was really, really nice about it. I was telling you how you guys were all so nice and how great it was because you're from the Midwest. And you said, like, oh, yeah, the kids, like, there's some, you know, there's no Jews in the show. I just wanted to let you know. Oh, I didn't mean anything. I just wanted to let you know. That's why it's like, it's more of, like, with TV, that's... I know it's the norm, right, but yeah. we were talking oh, about why every why the show was so great and oh, why, why everyone was so nice. Uh, oh, well, I, I apologize. So, I didn't. This is more like, I, I, I apologize. So it looks like that happened. I mean, let's be honest here. It looks like that happened. Now, this is nothing against Nolan Dalla. He he had nothing to do with this. Nolan Dalla was not part of this conversation. He wasn't even here when either the conversation about the Jews and the, or the next day when she confronted him about it. He wasn't there for either of them. So this is not about Nolan Dalla. I just want to make that clear. This is about Chris Hansen. So, yeah, it looks like this happened. <laughs> and, uh, unbelievable, but yeah, it happened. Now, don't think that, despite this, that Chris Hansen has not filed a lawsuit against Jacqueline Moscow. Uh, he actually tweeted the top of the page of, uh, of the trial demand. It says, Chris D. Hansen, plaintiff, versus Jacqueline Michelle Moscow, a.k.a. Dr. Jacqueline Moscow, defendant. Trial by jury demanded. Complaint, defamation, actual malice, negligence, false light, invasion of privacy, attempted or actual tortious interference. Now, that's that's a lot of uh, nonsense legal talk, but uh, uh, this is never going to stand up. Uh, now, they didn't know she had this recording when they filed this. And when I say they, I mean Chris Hansen and his attorney, Linda Kenny Baden. Now, Linda Kenny Baden, she actually played on Poker Night in America in the same episode. Actually, I think the Florida episode, the second one she was on. But they, they actually played in the same episode, Jacqueline and uh, Linda Kenny Baden. I don't know if she's friends with the Poker Night in America people or what, but she's representing both Chris Hansen and Nolan Dalla. I don't know what their payment arrangements are. I don't know. if I, I'm pretty sure that they're not hiring her because she's expensive. Like I, th- This would be a very expensive uh, lawyer to be hiring for something like this. And I, I don't see Chris Hansen or Nolan Dallas spending that type of money. I think it's because Linda, Linda knows them. And Linda is probably either doing this for free because she's friendly with them or maybe on contingency that if they beat Jacqueline in court and get any money out of her, that uh, Linda will take part of it. But uh, Linda has to know also that Jacqueline doesn't have much money to take. I think she's she doesn't have very much, Jacqueline. She's, she's even said so, that she's fairly broke. So... It's like squeezing blood from a stone. Even if they want a million bucks from her, that doesn't mean they collect. So, and she's not even a practicing doctor. So, 
I don't know what they're hoping to get out of this. I, I have to think that probably Linda Kenny Baden is uh, probably working for free just because she's friends with these two. Uh, I'm not sure what the purpose of this lawsuit is. It's, it's not like Linda Kenny Baden is a, an incompetent lawyer. She, it's the opposite. She's a very good lawyer, and she's had a lot of success in the legal world, a lot of success as a trial lawyer. So uh, she knows much more about the legal system, and especially in uh, matters like this, she knows much more than I do. But there's, I, I can tell you, <laughs> I can't see this ever working. For this lawsuit, there's two lawsuits that have been filed, which is pretty serious business if you think about it. You know, these are lawsuits, trial by jury demanded for bo- by both uh, Chris Hansen and separately Nolan Dalla filed against Dr. Jacqueline Moscow. Now, you have to understand something when it comes to claims of libel or slander. And uh, there's a difference between the two, by the way. Libel is the written word and slander is the spoken word. A lot of times they're interchanged improperly. In this case, I guess it would be both because she spoke about them on various podcasts and she wrote about them in her blog. So I guess here would be libel and slander. But uh, but the complaints are actually defamation with uh, actual malice and negligence, meaning that she was compl- she was defaming him both maliciously and Accidentally, which I, I can't see, like, can't be malice and negligence. <laughs> it seems strange to me. Uh, false light. They're, you know, they're painting him in a false light. Invasion of privacy. Maybe that's about the recording, but I don't know what the privacy laws are in Pittsburgh or in Pennsylvania about uh, recording someone in person. In, mo- in most states, that's legal to do. Not over the phone necessarily, but in person, you can usually secretly record someone without breaking the law. I don't know about Pennsylvania. Uh, attempted or actual torturous interference. I don't know what uh, interference she's talking about there. But the bottom line is, if something happens to you, and you tell everyone about it, and it really happened, and you can prove it happened, or at least show there's a good chance it happened, even if it is putting the person who you're talking about in a very bad light, even if your statements about them are going to ruin their career, it doesn't matter. They can't sue you if what you're saying is true. So just because you've ruined someone's career or made them look really bad or harmed their life very badly by writing something about them or saying something about them, as long as it's true, you can do it. And they can't win anything from you. Often, it also has to be proven that this is done maliciously. There's a lot more protection for someone who accidentally says something about someone that isn't true, but isn't doing it with malice, especially in the the written form. So that's... uh, and, And, of course, there's also a higher standard that you have to adhere to if the person's a, quote, public figure. Now, Chris Hansen is definitely a public figure because he's on a a TV show as a host. Nolan Dollett's close, whether he's a public figure. Um... You could say in some ways he presents himself as that, but uh, he, he's not really famous or, or really the host of anything on TV. So you, know, you could say he's not one, but he could also argue he is one. But for a public figure, it's even a higher standard of, uh, of libel or slander. And this is what protects people from, you know, who, who want to just 
say nasty things about celebrities they don't like to where they, they can't get the pantsuit off them. That's, that's basically what that's for. Or if you want to criticize the president or – yeah, there's basically anyone who's a public figure, which is supposed to be someone who's famous enough to be known by the public – uh, you can criticize them and say things about them that are not true uh, a lot more than you can a private citizen. And the, the basic feeling is that if you've thrust yourself out in the public to where you become like a household name, uh, people should be able to talk about you and not have to be constantly on guard. And if you don't like that, then don't become a public figure. So I, I don't believe this would be successful. I think if the jury heard this recording, at the very least, they would believe that Chris must have said something like this. They definitely wouldn't. I'm not saying she could necessarily win anything off him in a lawsuit, but uh, I can't see him winning a defamation lawsuit when this recording would seem to indicate that her accusation against him about what he said is true. Because her only accusation against Chris was this Jew stuff, and it, it sounds like he's admitting to it. Now, what about Nolan? Let's talk about Nolan. Uh, Nolan, there's also a lawsuit that he's filing. Again, a complaint for defamation, false light, intentional and negligent and tortious interference. Same thing, pretty much. This is how the – and you actually get to see the beginning of the trial by jury demand. It says, comes now plaintiff's Nolan Dalla. <laughs> That's really how it starts. Comes now plaintiff Nolan Dalla. Is that really the right words to be using when he is accused of motorboating? Comes now plaintiff. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe the plaintiff did want to come now. Anyway, comes now plaintiff Nolan Dollar respectfully states his complaint for defamation against defendant Jacqueline Michelle Moscow, a.k.a. Jacqueline Michelle, and it cuts off. But there's more to this because along with this little statement, this little uh, – not statement, this little uh, legal document, document, the partial legal document that was published came a statement from Nolan Dalla that was put out clearly by his attorney about the Daily News article. Now, you may say, what Daily News article? I don't know of any Daily News article. Well, yes, there is an article – in the New York Daily News. In fact, two articles about this situation that was very, very much pro-Jacqueline Moscow and very much anti-Nolan Dalla. You may say, wow, the New York Daily News, that's, that's a pretty well-known publication. And I'd say, yes, it is. And you say, wow. So they're on Jacqueline Moscow's side. Hmm. How did that happen? Well, it's because the article was written by none other than one Chris Baud. <laughs> Now, Chris Baud, if you don't know the name, is a notorious Twitter troll, social justice warrior type, who likes to troll anyone who does not uh, go along with his social justice warrior beliefs. And he especially gets mad at you if you specifically disagree with things that he finds important. Now, he seems to find distressed young girls in poker to latch onto and white knight and defend. Two years ago, it was Anna Kate when she was... Uh, now, Anna Kate's situation, she was definitely in the right. She was being uh, scammed by the guy who ran Poker Approved. 
So on that, Chris Baud and I were actually on the same side. He actually registered a poker fraud alert account, Chris Baud, two years ago because of the Anna Cage situation where me and Chris were on the same side defending Anna because she was definitely being wronged by a scammer there, as were many others. But uh, I wondered at the time, like, what is Chris Baud's part in it? Why is, why is this so important to him? He has nothing to do with this. Well, again, he is at the forefront of all this, even though, again, he has nothing to do with it. The common factor here is that in both cases, the, quote, victim was a young, cute-slash-pretty girl that he probably had some interest in. Like, he's not going to bat for dudes. He's not going to bat for older women. If they're under under 35 and, and at least somewhat pretty, then he's all over it. Then he's defending you all over the place. So he has been bashing Nolan Dalla ever since this story broke. On May 25th, the day this story broke, which is when uh, when Jacqueline released her blog accusing everyone of all this stuff. Chris Baud wrote this. This is the same day as the, as the Jacqueline blog went out. At Nolan Dalla, how do you feel about being exposed as a racist and sexist pig in charge of a production team full of racist, sexist pigs? Poker Night in America. So far, you are responding precisely like you are a liar. Should have played that before when I was reading those legal briefs. I blew it. So, this guy who has been ranting about Nolan Dalla, about how awful he is, how evil he is, what a liar he is, how he is a racist and sexist pig in charge of a production team full of racist, sexist pigs. This, this is Chris Bod's words, not mine, on May 25th, the day the story broke. How is a guy holding these strong and nasty opinions of Nolan Dalla in charge of writing a news article for the New York Daily News about this situation? Would you say he's a little bit biased? Would you say that maybe he should not be the one writing the article? Now, in case none of you have ever taken a journalism class, the first thing they tell you on day one of journalism class, and the very, very first journalism class you'll ever take, Journalism 101, they will tell you that when you write a news story, you need to have impartiality. You need to approach the news story with neutrality. You cannot favor either side. Even if part of you feels closer to one side than the other as far as what you agree with, you cannot approach the news story that way. You, you are to report on it fairly. You're to research the facts fairly. You're not to withhold facts because you want one side to look better than the other. You're not to mangle facts to make one side look better than the other. When you're doing a news report, you are supposed to be looking for just that, the facts, and report the facts. And that's it. Not interject your opinion. Not try to skew it to one party looks better than the other. That's what a good journalist does. Now, you can write an opinion article. That's a different story. An opinion article, you can bash one side of the, of the situation all you want because you're giving your opinion. But then your opinion article appears in an opinion section. It says there that this is the opinion of the writer, not the opinion of the paper, that uh, you know, basically you know you're reading an opinion piece. But this piece that Chris Baud put out was not presented as an opinion piece. The only way you knew that a biased guy was writing it 
was by seeing that it was written by Chris Baud and knowing that he has been bashing Nolan for a month. It's completely inappropriate. Even if you're totally on Jacqueline Moscow's side on this one, this is completely inappropriate for a person to be writing an article in a major publication like the New York Daily News. I mean, it's like, when I say major, it's not respected, but it's major. It's, it's the, It has the fourth biggest circulation of any paper in the U.S. It's, it's known as like a tabloid. It's known as a piece of crap, as it has been for almost 100 years. I think the paper's like 99 years old. But it's, it's always been a tabloid piece of crap. But still, if you're writing a news story, even for a tabloid piece of crap, if you are a good and fair and honest journalist, then you need to write it from a neutral standpoint. If you've been bashing one of the subjects of the article relentlessly for a month, you should not be the one writing the news piece. You are not an appropriate person to be writing. You should be excusing yourself from the story and giving it to somebody else who doesn't know the story and researches it from scratch and just writes the facts there. Chris Baud did not do that. Chris Baud wrote a news story pushing the agenda to bash Nolan and to make him look bad and covered it up. And you know, we know Chris Baud. We know Chris Baud is, is biased. We know Chris Baud, uh, which side he's on. And this, this whole thing is uh, an attempt to slam Nolan. And back Jacqueline. But most people reading the Daily News don't know this. This was in the sports section on June 26th. Said, even for a skilled poker player, it was a big gamble staring down a circle of sexist and anti-Semitic card sharks and hoping to come out on top. It's it's already uh, drawing conclusions right there that uh, her opponents were sexist and anti-Semitic. The world of professional poker is dominated by men who outnumber women by as much as 20 to 1. Insiders say it's an old boys club where few women speak up, fearful that their careers and marketing opportunities will suddenly dry up. But Jacqueline Moscow, a doctor of osteopathic medicine and a professional poker player, is going all in. Oh, boy. This guy has like 18,000 posts on 2 plus 2, Chris Baud. How does he not realize after all these posts that you don't make all-in references when you're writing about poker? That's just something so lame. You only do that if you know nothing about poker and, and you, you think that's clever. But he, he should know better. Of course, he should know better not to write this article at all. Moscow now finds herself squared off against some of poker's heavyweights, Nolan Dalla, Chris Hansen, and Todd Anderson. She says one of them sexually abused her, rubbing his face in her cleavage. Another man said a popular poker TV show was great because there were no Jews on it and admitted it to it, and admitted to it in a recording obtained by the Daily News. And that, so that was Chris Baud who got that recording I played to you guys, by the way. That was the first appearance of it was in this article. Moscow is Jewish. The 31-year-old poker pro from South Florida pulled off a move that was riskier than playing a bad hand. When the time came to call out one of the biggest names in competitive poker, Moscow didn't do it during a game. She did it in a blog accusing Dalla, a married industry bigwig, of sexual harassment. You know... That's not really true either. She did this after they didn't want to give her a hundred grand. I mean, that's the truth. Caller, you're on the air. Oh, I'm on the air. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Uh, who is this? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, my name's Patrick. I'm from New Jersey. I'm, I'm actually a new fan of your show. Oh, good, good. Glad to hear you. So yeah, I've been actually uh, listening now for a couple months, and now I'm actually listening to some back issues, especially since you uh, were trying to represent at the World Series. Yeah, well, I'm glad uh, glad you've been listening, and uh, uh, I know we're on at a funny time there. At least for you, it's uh, seven something in the morning. I see you're in uh, you're New, you're in New Jersey, right? Yeah, yeah. I also work nights, so uh, your your podcast helps me uh, keep going at night. So. Oh, that's good. So, uh, are you calling about anything in particular? Or just calling to say hello. Actually, I just I just I just called to say hello. Um, and uh, I just wanted to say I think you do a great job with the show. I listen to a lot of uh, 
podcast, but I think uh, you're like one of the most honest people when it comes to uh, talking about like poker and the events and everything else. Well, thank you. And, and actually, I, I really found it hilarious uh, about the whole uh, Jacqueline uh, Moscow thing when you uh, start talking about casting couchings and everything else. Yeah, well, said, it, yeah, it's kind of true. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it was absolutely true. And I, I, I thought to myself, I said, you know, this is a man that, uh, you know, he might not always be right, but he actually believes what he says. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well, thank you for calling in. I'm going to finish this uh, this article here, but I'm glad to hear from a new listener. And uh, uh, it's always nice to get calls like this. Hey, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. That was uh, Patrick from New Jersey, a new listener. Should ask him how he found the show. I blew it. All righty. Let's actually. I see he called once before back in April, or no, not in April, in June. Never mind. About a month ago. All righty. So I'm glad he got through, especially on a night when not many people are going to call because we don't have any live listeners. So it went on to. So it said she was pulling a move that was risky. Well, not really. This was done more vindictively after she didn't get what she wanted. Uh, it said the occasion, Moscow said, was the set of a Poker Night in America taping at Pittsburgh's Rivers Casino in November 2014 with Dalla host Hansen and Anderson, a show executive. Moscow said things got off to a rocky start when she arrived on set and Anderson allegedly interrogated her. Why are you here, Anderson asked, according to Moscow. What, does Nolan have a thing for you? Moscow declined to confront Dalla about it during the uh, – decided not to con- decided to confront Dalla about it during a cast and crew party. At a local bar the next night, she asked Dalla if he indeed, quote, had a thing for her. To his disbelief, she says, Dalla, who's been married for 25 years, responded, I do. Moscow used her blog to describe what happened next. Then he told the surrounding group, hey, watch this. I've wanted to do this for a long time and proceeded to thrust his head directly into my chest and cleavage and think and shake it back and forth. (laughs) I'm not going to read the rest of this. You know the story. But basically, he's – he wrote this whole story. Very much validating everything that uh, Jacqueline was saying. And then if that was not enough, he went and wrote a second story the same day. You'd think like one story about this in one day is enough. But no, he wrote a second piece entitled Poker Honcho Nolan Dalla Shared, quote, Disgusting Views About Female Bartenders in a Blog Post Before Being Accused of Sexual Harassment. Let me tell you about that blog, and I actually read this a long time ago, well before all this happened. Uh, Nolan has a blog where he tries to come off as edgy and controversial. He cusses a lot. Uh, he says a lot of politically incorrect things. It's not really him. It's it's more like a character he plays that's based on him in this blog. Uh, so so the, the blog wasn't to be taken entirely seriously. Basically, he was – and the funny thing is if you read this blog carefully – you know, you, you read this this byline here about uh, he shared disgusting views about female bartenders before being accused of sexual harassment. You think you'd be writing about uh, about all his sexual fantasies about the female bartenders? Actually, that's not what he was saying. He was actually saying the reverse that he would prefer not to have a pretty female bartender sticking her tits in his face because he just wants a bartender who's com- who's competent and uh, who keeps the right sports on TV that he wants to watch. And he doesn't think that uh, a woman is going to have the same taste in sports as he will. So, so for that reason, he'd prefer to have a dude behind the bar 
that uh, the girl behind the bar being pretty doesn't impress him. It impresses some other guys, but he, he doesn't really care if it's a female or what she looks like. He just wants someone who can pour his drinks correctly and, and put the right sports on TV. Now, whether you agree with that or not, or if you want to call it sexist, that's, that's a different story. But that is not indicative of someone who's a sexual harasser. He, he's basically saying, I don't want women tending bar. I don't care how hot they are. I don't care how big their boobs are. I don't care how low cut their shirt is. I don't want to see it. All I want to do when I'm at a bar is drink and watch sports. And male bartenders are better, in my experience, at providing that for me. You can say it's sexist, but you cannot say that that is indicative of a sexual harasser. In fact, again, it's the opposite. The, the, the pervert's going to want to have the hot chick with the, with the low-cut shirt behind the bar. The motorboating pervert's going to want to have that. The guy who, who isn't sex-crazed, who just wants to go to the bar to drink and watch sports, he's going to be the one saying, hey, you know, I'd prefer a dude there instead of a hot chick. Now, I'm not saying I agree with all this stuff. I'm just saying that, number one, he wrote this partially for the sake of being outrageous, and you can tell by reading it. You can tell by reading all his blogs that uh, he's writing a lot of this just to be entertaining. So, you know, because, hey, uh, hey, guys, you know, wouldn't you rather have a dude behind the bar who's got the sports you like on TV than just some chick with big boobs, uh, you know, putting her cleavage in your face? Am I right, guys? Yeah, right. You know, it's sort of like that. It's, it's kind of like he's speaking to other dudes, the type of dudes he typically meets at bars who aren't politically correct, who'll just speak their mind. So, it's, you know, it's probably from something that he actually noticed. He probably did have an experience with, with the female bartender who thought she was hot shit that had the cleavage out that, uh, that then didn't want to change the, the channel of the TV to what he wanted. To, and he, he was annoyed by that. And he was thinking, hey, if there's a dude behind the bar, he'd know that such and such game is important. Like I, I can imagine that probably happened. But th- this is not indicative of somebody who's a sexual harasser. It's not. You can say that uh, he comes off as a jerk in the blog. I, I didn't. When I read it, I didn't think, "Oh, he's a jerk." I thought, "Okay, this is you know, he's writing this to just kind of be outrageous and to kind of just be politically incorrect." And you know, we we shouldn't be at the point in this world where people can't have blogs like that without being torn to shreds. You sh- you should be able to write outrageous things like that and not have your life ruined, unless you're like really, really in, in a very, very sensitive public position. But otherwise, if you, if you want to write stuff like that, uh, as long as you normally treat everybody well in real life. If you want to write outrageous things like that, who cares? And it's not even like he's saying women are just incompetent. He's just saying that you know, women don't have the same interest in sports as he does, typically. And that uh, if the choice is between someone who will put on the right sports on TV or someone that's, that's hot and female, he'd rather have the one who uh, puts the right sports on TV. That's what he's trying to say. It's not even that bad. But uh, people have been jumping all over this blog... And, and citing that as some sort of indication that Nolan Dahl is a serial sexual harasser, which is not true. And I'm not just spinning this. Read the blog. You'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. But, but Chris Baud actually felt it was necessary to write a whole article on the Daily News about this. I mean, it's not like he just quickly mentioned the blog. He wrote a whole separate article about this one blog that Nolan wrote a long time ago about female bartenders. Who cares? That has nothing to do with this. It's not like he wrote a blog admitting that he motorboats women without their uh, consent. It's not like he said, oh, you know, there's a bartender there. She's got uh, big tits there, and sometimes I just can't help myself and shove my face in there. That would be relevant, but he didn't write that. He wrote the opposite. He, he's writing, I wish he wasn't there. I don't want a girl like that there. I want a dude there. So, so why, why is this here? Why is he writing about this? He meaning Chris Baud. Why, why is Chris Baud writing a whole article in the Daily News 
taking up a whole article there after he's already written a full article already bashing Nolan. So this is clearly a hit piece. This and the other one are both clearly hit pieces that Chris Baud, a guy who's been harassing Nolan on Twitter for a month now, wrote with a very, very clear agenda. And even if you're totally on Jacqueline Moscow's side, this is inappropriate. This is inappropriate. It's not fair. The news media should not be doing this. If the news media is going to cover this, they need to cover it fairly. They need to assign someone to cover it that does not have an existing opinion on the subject and that does not have a internet friendship with the, sus- with the subject. They need to have someone that has not been uh, using this to, to white knight women on the internet to try to get them to talk to him. That, that's not the right person to be doing this article. You need a, a reporter who has no horse in the race, a reporter that doesn't care or know either side. A reporter that just wants to get out the cold facts and report them. Not editorialize, not give opinions, not frame it a certain way. It's just not fair. I don't care who's right or wrong here. It's just not fair. And this is both are written with a with as news articles. These are not opinion pieces. Again, they're news articles in the New York Daily News. And the typical reader of the Daily News is going to go, "Wow, what an asshole! Wow, this Nolan Doll is awful! Wow, this is yeah, this is a sexist asshole who probably uh, assaults women all the time." It, it's just. That's so dishonest what Chris Baud did there. He's, he's such a sleazy tabloid journalist. He really is. And I and I called him out about this on Twitter. And that's what Greg Jihad got mad about and started giving me a hard time. Because I guess he's one of those social justice warriors too. You know, there's, there's that group of them there that feel that if a woman accuses a man of anything that they automatically not only have to take her side, but but they have to treat her like uh, a complete victim and that she can do no wrong just because she's female. Chris Baud, who I think also does this with a personal agenda because he likes, he likes it when pretty girls talk to him and that's the way he can accomplish that. Uh, then, then you have the social justice warriors like uh, Vanessa Selbst, Andrew Barber, Jennifer Newell, Vanessa Self doesn't get too involved because she's busy playing poker, but she gets involved a little bit too. I haven't argued directly with her, but the other ones I have. And I'm not on any side here. As you see, I, I reported here on this very show that I believe that Chris Hansen really did make those comments about Jews. I've reported before, and I'll say it again, I think that Nolan Dalla did motorboat her. I don't think it's the exact way she claimed it happened, but I think they he was probably drunk. I think they'd been drinking a while. I, thought, I think that... Uh, he felt comfortable to do this when he shouldn't have and did it. I, I don't know if he did. It could you know it could be all made up, but I, I believe at this point I believe it. So speaking of what I believe, let me tell you where I stand on this at this point. Because I, I really am neutral. Some people accuse me, especially the social justice warriors, they accuse me of being pro-Nolan and anti-Jacqueline. That's not true. I've even had some good email conversations with Jacqueline, some friendly email conversations. So, like, I, I'm, I'm not on anybody's side here. I'm really not. But I, I'm on the side of truth. I'm on the side of telling it like it is and not just backing one side because of being friends with them or because of some sort of uh, political or social belief. I like looking at the actual situation and making a conclusion based upon the information I have. That's what I always do on the show. That's what I'm going to do here. 
So this is what I think happened. I think I think both sides have fault in this. And I know that sounds like a cop-out, but I think both sides have fault in this. I think that's the truth. So I am guessing, number one, that uh, Jacqueline is not necessarily an evil person. I think this has escalated out of control from something that could have been managed a long time ago. I think it, it's gotten out of hand. Now we have lawsuits. Now we have calls to have Nolan fired from the World Series, which isn't going to happen, and it shouldn't happen. He should not get fired. But but anyway, there's a lot of crap happening here. Then it got way beyond where it should be. Keep in mind, this is not about rape or, or some kind of assault or, 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 or theft. This is about motorboating and a stupid comment about Jews. Who cares? I mean, yeah, it was unpleasant, but this it should not have gotten to this point. So here's what I think really happened. I think that most of what Jacqueline is alleging is true. Yes, I actually think that most of Jacqueline's allegations in her blog are true. You might be surprised to hear me say that, but I, I believe that the base accusations there probably really did occur. I think maybe she framed them in a bit of a different way to make herself sound better, but I, I think that for the most part, these things really did happen. So wait, does that mean that I'm on her side? No. I'm not on any side because there's more to it. I think that this didn't bother her that much. I think this was stuff she just kind of put up with. She's like, well, you know, I I don't like the Jews comment. I I don't like Nolan motorboating me out of nowhere after I've been drinking with him for a while and uh, didn't like Anderson's rudeness. But, you know, none of this was that awful. If it gets me on TV, fine. You know, this wasn't terrible. Like it's it's a, some inappropriate behavior, but it's, it's it wasn't awful. So she felt okay. I'll put up with it. It's not that terrible. At least I'm going to get on TV a bunch of times. Maybe I'll get a sponsorship. Maybe I'll become a famous poker player. But then she realized that they did not like her. They didn't want her back on TV. She felt like she put up she put up with all this inappropriate behavior for nothing. She thought to herself, what? Wait a minute. So I put up with Chris Hansen disparaging Jews directly to my face. I put up with Todd Anderson just basically being a dick to me. I put up with Nolan Dalla motorboating me. And for what? To, 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 ha- to have most of my airtime cut? To have a few minutes on the show and not be invited back? Screw that. If, if that's the way it's going to be, then, <laughs> you know, the, then... I'm going to have to get something out of this. I only put up with this because I thought I'm, I'm going to be on future episodes. I thought this is going to be the, the beginning of a lot of appearances for me. If, the, if this is a one-and-done thing, then F them. I'm not, I'm not putting up with this crap. That's probably what she thought. So at that point, she wanted something in return. Now, believe it or not, I think that's reasonable. A lot of times in your life, you will have to put up with something unpleasant in order to get something you want. But if you don't get what you think you're going to get from putting up with the unpleasantry, then you get pissed. That's human nature. Not everything you do and put up with is for noble reasons. Sometimes you put up with things because you know you'll get something out of it. A very simple example at work. Let's let's say... Uh, you're at work and, and your boss is just a complete asshole to you all the time. Not, not about sexual harassment, but you're, your boss is just always just a, a jerk, yells at you, treats you like shit. But at the same time, 
you know that he's strongly thinking of promoting you, and you really want that promotion. Well, at that point, do you, do you raise a big issue and say, hey, guess what? My boss is an asshole. I'm going to make a complaint to HR. And You, know, you don't do that. You, you keep your mouth shut. You put up with an abusive boss as long as it doesn't get too bad. Knowing that if you don't create waves, that uh, you'll probably get that promotion. But then if you find out that either you don't get the promotion or if the boss just lets you go, if he lays you off, then you're going to stand up and go, wait a minute. In that case, uh, (laughs) I'm going to get something for the way I've been treated here. And that's not unreasonable. And I think that the Poker Night in America guys, and I'm I'm talking about all of them, including Chris Capra, who didn't work for the show, but was uh, one of the main representatives of the main sponsor, 888. I think they realized that they screwed up. I think they realized that uh, what Jacqueline was accusing them of doing really happened and that they all screwed up and that uh, maybe they should reasonably accommodate her requests to make this go away. So they initially didn't want her back, but as we've seen in the text messages, then they, then they did the next day invite her back to Florida. At first they said, oh, we don't have room for you. Then, then they backtracked and said, yeah, actually we do. And I'm sure that's because she messaged Chris Capra and said, hey, you know, a lot of girls will make a big deal about this stuff. I, I, I don't want to do that. That's not me. I don't want to do that. Uh, so uh, when am I going to be in the next show? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, she was, she was dropping the hint to Chris Capra, who then would drop the hint to the Poker Night in America guys. And she did it to Chris Capra because she felt he'd be the easiest one to talk to. She dropped the hint to him. Hey, I was mistreated here. You better get me on another show because, you know, I'm not bringing this up for now. She didn't say those words, but that was the implication. The implication was you get me on another Poker Night in America. uh, I'm not going to go public about what happened here. You You could read the manipulation right in those texts. Now, again, I'm not faulting her because she's trying to get something out of was what looks like legitimate mistreatment of her. This is kind of like the peace offering she's hoping for. So fine. I don't blame her for that. Unfortunately, this is where I do blame her. I think the power over this situation went to her head. Once she was successful in being invited to Florida, she's like, ah, I've got them over the barrel now. Oh, they're scared of me now. They know they screwed up. They know I could expose them for what they've done. Ho, ho, ho. I've got the control. And then she started to make unorthodox demands, like editing hands out where she didn't think that uh, she played them well. She didn't want to have those shown on TV. Uh, They started to feel like that they were her slave. And they didn't want to deal with her anymore. They're like, you know, this, we can't have this. Like to let her on an episode or two, fine. But we, we, we can't start letting her have editorial control of the show because you think she's got something over on us. We, like, we can't deal with someone like this. This is very difficult to handle. So this is not what we pictured when we invited her back. Now, now she's, she's let the power go to her head. And she shouldn't have. She should have been happy with being invited back, provided that she was treated respectfully the next time around. Which I, I believe she was. Like I, I, th- when, she, when she did go back on the show in Florida, there there were no allegations of motorboating or any Jew comments or anything like that. So 
that should have been it. She should have been invited back to one more show, or maybe two more shows if that's what she wanted. But whatever it was, it should have just been invited back with no special privileges, like everyone else. And pretty much the peace offering here is being invited back when you otherwise were not going to be. That should have been it. But she got too big for her bridges. She started thinking that she has full control here. And then they're like, crap, we can't have this. We've got, we've got to put a stop to this. So then they referred it to their, to their lawyers. And their lawyers, they told the lawyers, look, we can't have her feeling like she has control over us. Just, just contact her, figure out what we can pay to get her out of here that's reasonable, and let's just be done with her. Let's just pay her off and be done. So the lawyers contacted her, offered, I don't know, 15K, 20K, it was never totally clear, but something around there. And once again, she smelled weakness and re-raised, asking for 100K. So at this point, of course, uh, Poker Night in America told her to go fuck herself. (laughs) This wasn't worth 100K. It definitely was not. It definitely was not. This is not worth 100K. A comment about Jews and being motorboated. It's it's not worth 100,000. It's just not. She should have taken the 15 or 20 that they offered her and been done. Look, if anybody who listened to this show, and I mean anybody, wants to come motorboat me for $15,000, you can do it. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're gay or straight. I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care if you're good-looking or ugly. You can come motorboat me for $15,000. In fact, I'll let you do it 10 times in a row for $15,000. In fact, I will let you motorboat me for an hour for $15,000. Do I have any takers? Anybody? But I will. Like, uh, for what happened here, it's relatively minor, fifteen to twenty thousand. That, that's a fine settlement. It's not life-changing money, but it's a fine settlement for what happened there. So they told her, "Forget it." She told them in turn, "Okay, fine, fuck you guys too." And she decided at that point that she's just going to expose everything. That happened, and she started hinting about it in in, uh, in March, and then actually did it in May. I still think she did it in May because it was a week before the World Series, and she wanted Nolan to be embarrassed at the World Series. She claims it's a, it's a coincidence. I don't believe it. So once she did that, we ended up with the mess we see today, where people are calling for Nolan to be fired from the World Series. Others are boycotting Poker Night in America, and Jacqueline's about to be sued by not one but two different people, both of whom have the same successful and aggressive attorney. So Jacqueline is going to have a very highly stressful and expensive court battle. And at the same time, Nolan Dalla's decades-long good reputation is going to be tarnished forever. So both lose. Both of them lose. I don't think the World Series is going to fire Nolan, but people are going to remember this. People are going to say, oh, it's Nolan the sexual harasser, Nolan the motorboater. Nolan, the, the asshole, the misogynist, the hater of women. That's not really fair. Like, that's not a fair way to characterize him. I don't believe that's Nolan Dalla. I don't think uh, he is a misogynist or hater of women or sexual harasser. I think, uh, I think he did something stupid and made a mistake when he was drunk. Being drunk is not an excuse. He shouldn't have done it. He screwed up. But this has gotten way blown out of proportion. Way blown out of proportion. She should have taken the money and been done with it. But I also fault Poker Night in America, not just for making these boneheaded mistakes in the first place and mistreating her, which they did. But I also fault them for not making it more clear 
exactly what she can expect as far as the compensation for this. The whole thing was done in kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge sort of thing, and not it wasn't done with clarity. And the lack of clarity is what caused her to get so angry. Because what ultimately got her angry was that she didn't get enough screen time at the Florida show. That was the one she was on after the Pittsburgh show, the one that she was invited to because all this happened. And then she didn't get enough screen time like she wanted, and she got mad. And then she started, you know, then she was demanding uh, all these other things and demanding the editorial control and demanding money, and, and then it all fell apart. Here's what Poker Night in America should have done. When they became aware that she was unhappy with her treatment and that they really did screw up, they should have made an offer to her without directly admitting fault. And you can do that. You can do something like this. You could say, uh, we apologize that you feel you had a bad experience with a few of our employees and can assure you that no malice was intended. While we initially didn't have room for you on the next episode, we'd like to offer you an invite to that episode with 30 minutes of guaranteed airtime and hope that will make you feel a bit better about your experience with Poker Night America. We also will assure you that all employees will treat you with the utmost respect. Please let us know if you accept this offer so both sides can consider the matter closed. Like I wrote that as a sample letter. They didn't write this. I wrote this for them. That they, This is what they should have written to her right when this was all going down in November 2014. Like as soon as she was unhappy and, and making it clear she wants to be invited back as a result of this, this is what they should have written. Because this is not admitting to any motorboating or Jew comments. What it's doing is it's, it's basically saying we know that you're unhappy. Uh, we didn't mean anything by anything that happened. Uh, because you feel you had a bad experience, uh, we're inviting you back. We're going to give you this guaranteed airtime. Uh, hope that will make you feel better. Let us know if you accept it. And if she says, I accept it, and then anyway comes out and bashes them on the internet, well, then she looks terrible because then you can present what you sent to her, that she agreed to it, and that basically she's trying to have her cake and eat it too, basically trying to take the, uh, the, the settlement offer but then bash them anyway publicly. She would have looked terrible. Instead, they just let her on but then didn't give her the, the airtime she thought she'd be getting, and, and then they weren't letting her change the, 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 the editing of it like she thought she had the right to do, and... And then the money that they wanted to give her, she didn't think was enough. Like It shouldn't have been this way. It should have just, right from the start, kind of a take-it-or-leave-it sort of thing. Without admitting to any guilt, just, just saying, okay, we're sorry you had this experience. Uh, here's something for your trouble. Would you like it? If she says yes, then she acknowledges she considers the matter closed. It's done. And then it's over. And then she'd look terrible if she brought this forward. And believe me, she would have accepted it because... The big thing to her was appearing on this show for a length of time to where people would get to know her. That was the big thing to her. And if they gave that to her, I think this all would have never happened. I think they just, these Poker Night in America guys had like a quick conversation with each other when this first started going down. I said, damn, we screwed up. Well, or they just tell her she can be on the next episode and maybe she'll go away after that. And they didn't realize they were creating a monster. They, they should have... I think they were even afraid to send a letter like that because I think they were afraid it was admitting guilt. But the, the problem is if you just say, oh, yeah, sure, you can come on, once that has happened, you are acknowledging weakness, acknowledging that she's in control now. And that's what led to where this is. Caller, you're on the air. Turn off the radio in the background. Yeah, I'm doing that now. Hey, Druff, it's four more calling in, I guess. Uh, not too many people in the chat this morning, but I'm here. Yeah, I see you. I'm uh, glad you're with us here. 
Yeah, I, I don't. I know you're talking about the Jacqueline Moscow thing, um, and I saw that um, on Calvin Air, and uh, actually on uh, the lawyer representing uh, uh, Nolan Dalla. That uh, that apparently there might be a video of the uh, event, the, uh, the toast apparently that this motorboating occurred at. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, that's. I, was, I don't know if you mentioned that. Uh, no, I haven't yet. I was just about to get to it. So yes, there's a there's a video. This is a, a statement that was on Twitter, uh, or a link that was posted on Twitter by attorney Linda Kenny Baden, and this is a statement about to withhold a rush to judgment. It says, we ask on behalf of Mr. Dalla that everyone withhold the rush to judgment that can forever and irretrievably de- destroy a person's life, reputation, family, and work. My office has turned over to Nevada Trial Counsel evidence in support of Nolan Dalla's innocence. This includes a video that contained the now infamous toast taken by a third party at the Tilted Kilt in Pittsburgh at the time Nevada Trial Counsel formally files Dalla's affirmative lawsuit. It will also decide whether to make a motion to file under seal so that innocent third parties are not harmed publicly. Uh, all other additional communications, items, documents Dalla has received in support of his denial that he has committed criminal sexual bar- battery upon complainant. Lawsuits take time to, real, to reveal full truths. We ask on behalf of Mr. Dalla that everyone withhold the rush to judgment that can forever and irretrievably destroy a person's life, reputation, family, and work. I remain national counsel to Mr. Dalla. So what she's saying here is a few things. First of all, uh, that they want everyone to withhold judgment of Dalla until the, this is hashed out in court. Number two, that they have a video, that's the big bombshell here, that they have a video of this toast, which we'll talk about in a second, that uh, Jacqueline Moscow talked about, that they have a video which exonerates him. And and number three, they're talking, I'm still hearing the radio in the background, by the way. Okay, I think, uh, I, think I just got rid of it. Okay. And uh, number three, that uh, they're making a motion to file it under seal. So... This way, pieces of evidence that are, are used in this, the public can't access, which is a little bit weird. So I think that uh, as far as this toast is concerned, obviously they wouldn't be talking about this toast on Nolan's side unless it was to make him look good. So there's something in this toast, if they really do have a video of it, which they probably do. I couldn't see Linda Kenny Baden's office putting out a, like a false claim about the toast. If they're going to claim anything was you know falsely, they have a video of it. It'd probably be the the motorboating if it didn't happen. But I think the toast they probably have a video that does make him look good, and they're dangling this to scare her. So I agree. There's that, something. There's something there. I, I mean, it seems a little bit crafty. Not crafty, but um, that's not the right word. I think. But uh, I think the, uh, the 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 attorney was pretty smart to put out this statement like this because um, it really, it, it's true. You you really have to be careful when you're passing judgment before you know all the facts. And we don't know all the facts here. Uh, we, we really can't until we have a bit more evidence presented. And, and uh, she, was, she was pretty smart to put this out. Um, even uh, on the Calvin Air site, uh, he, he makes a comment uh, about this video. Uh, if it's a Calvin that's actually writing, no, it's usually not. It's usually one, he has one of many other writers there. It's usually not him. Yeah, that's true. But they do say, unfortunately for Dalla, it, 
this is after uh, the uh, the uh, attorney says lawsuits take time to reveal full truths. Uh, the writer says, unfortunately for Dalla and anyone else who is caught up in these he said, she said debates, social media doesn't ascribe to those rules. And it's kind of true. You know, it's kind of what you're what you've been saying about this uh, troll writer for the uh, New York Post. Well, yeah, it's actually the, the Daily News. Yeah. It's the same thing. You know, it's like these guys only show the half truths that make their side look like, uh, you know, is the actual truth. And uh, it, it doesn't exactly work out. It doesn't always show everything that's going on. You got to give it time. Yeah. By the way, the, here's, the, here's the thing about the toast, in case you guys are wondering. Uh, this is what Jacqueline uh, Moscow wrote on May 25th. Prior to the motorboating, Dalla had given a toast to the cast and crew. After he touched my chest, he put his arm around me and whispered in my ear, I was going to say something pretty disgusting about you during that toast, but I decided not to because you probably have to deal with that sort of thing all the time. So I'm guessing that that's the only mention of the toast in her blog. So my guess is here that they're going to have a video of the toast and it's going to show that Nolan doesn't come anywhere near her and put his arm around her or anything like that, which then invalidates that part of the story. Now it's possible that she had the timeline wrong or just put the timeline together to make it sound better, that maybe half an hour after the toast, he came up to her and said that. She, she just wrote, after he, uh, um, after he touched my chest, um, I guess, uh, when did he touch her chest? I don't even know when that was supposed to be. Oh, here it was. Uh, um, okay, I... No, no, I don't know what the, what she's trying to say after he touched my tip. She's saying he put his arm around me. Oh, I know. I see what they're saying. See, I don't understand this here. I, I just read this again. I don't understand what this, what this video is going to prove. She's basically saying that it, it's, it's not very clearly written, but I think that's what she's trying to say. I think she's trying to say that he, after the motorboating, said that during the toast that he was going to say something disgusting but decided not to. So what is a video of the toast even going to matter? It, it, it seems like even she's not accusing him of saying anything inappropriate during the toast. Yeah, wouldn't it be funny if after the video of the uh, toast there was no motorboating and they tried to claim that that was proof that no motorboating Yeah. <laughs> See, now, now I'm thinking that this toast is just uh, a red herring. Like, what, what, What's the point of even releasing a video if even she's not alleging that during the toast anything happened? It sounds like they, he told her after the motorboating, oh, during the toast I was also going to do such and such, but I chose not to. So, well, well, he chose not to, so so nothing happened. So, like, both sides agree nothing happened during the toast. So why are they releasing right. this? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still believe this happened, but, but I, I also think... I, I, yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think it happened in some sort of fashion that, like you say, on a, a crazy night at a at a bar, things sometimes happen that don't people don't ascribe to occur in their lives normally. But hey, alcohol's involved sometimes, and it doesn't make it right, like you say. And it's just one of these things that most of the time would have just happened, and nobody would have talked about except in their later on in life uh, long poker stories. Yeah, and, and, and if and if you're and look, if you're gonna try to get something out of this because you feel that especially if they don't want to have you back on the show and you feel like you put up with this for nothing, fine, but 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 be reasonable. You, you can't take over the whole production. You can't demand to have editorial control. You shouldn't demand a hundred thousand dollars. You you gotta you've gotta drop the emotion for a second and go, wait a minute, this wasn't that major. Yes they screwed up. Yes they were inappropriate 
but I should get something commensurate with the level of inappropriateness and not, not just get the very maximum that I'm demanding or, or otherwise I walk. Otherwise – so now what's happened here is is she just said, F you, you're not giving me what I want, so I'm going to expose this. And the, and, and then she did, and now now they're trying to come back at her. And, and boy, this whole thing snowballed into a horrible mess when it shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Do you know if uh, Lyndon – Linda uh, Kenny Baden is is a Jew. I I don't know. I I think that would be interesting if she was. And they said, well, you know, look, this proves this proves that we we uh, the good thing about uh, lawsuits is that uh, you know we we do believe that you need to have the the right uh, people on your side, and Jews are the right people. Yeah, I, I think, and you know, if I had to guess this thing with Chris Hansen, I don't think he necessarily hated Jews. I think it was just a stupid comment, like, like, uh, almost like saying, "Well, you know, the Jews in Hollywood aren't friendly, and we are here because we're from the Midwest and we're not Jews. There's no Jews involved here." Like, I don't think they hate Jews. In fact, Mac Lance was involved with this show, and and he's Jewish. And in fact, the, right. I think the owners of Poker Night America, some of them are Jewish. I think they're trying to say like the the ones who are actually putting together the production aren't Jewish, so that's why everybody's friendlier. Like, uh, yeah, it's not a nice thing to say, but. I, I yeah. don't think that's indicative that he hates all Jews. If he did, you know, why would Mac Lance be there? Why why would uh, he be working for people that uh, you know, the owners that s- some of them are Jewish? It, it doesn't make any sense. So I I believe he said it. I, it was a dumb thing to say. Lord knows why he would say this to a stranger. It's really weird, but people do mm-hmm. weird things sometimes. I've I've sometimes had people say odd things to me. I'm like, what what made them say yeah. this? Why were they why are they saying this to me? <laughs> it's true. So, all right. Uh, thanks for it, Morris. You always, you always uh, give a lot of good information in the chats. So I appreciate that, too. Yeah, I try. Um, I'll keep listening. I'll be one of your few live callers this morning, um, but I do have to just walk out, so uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for calling. Okay. Bye-bye. And we got two calls tonight, despite uh, this very late hour, so that's good. <laughs> 775 fraud 55 775-372-8355. I've said everything i got to say about that whole thing with Jack of the Moscow and Nolan Dalla, way out of control. Way, way, way out of control. I guess I have one other thing to report really quickly from it, and then I'll move on. Uh, Jacqueline is claiming that a private investigator is, is following her. It's pretty crazy. Not following her necessarily, but a private investigator is is trying to look into her. Find these tweets about this here. Where is it here? It's a long thread. I'm trying to go through. I'm going through my own thread on uh, PokerFraudAlert.com. Yeah, she's claiming a, a PI is involved, and in fact, one who's been involved in uh, other high-profile situation. So. Here's, here's what she wrote about the P.I. If you're searching- That's not what she wrote. Sorry for that. This is, again, about the P.I. that uh, she's writing about here. That's the song I wanted. Update. Since my story can't be refuted, a private investigator working for Kenny Baden found... And called my ex-husband and questioned him about my sanity. 
The PI has been invading my life for Linda Kenny Baden, Chris Hansen, and Dolan Dalla. He's a 67-year-old named Pat McKenna, who's now Casey Anthony's boyfriend. Wow. You know, Casey Anthony, who killed her daughter. <laughs> Got away with it. Update. P.I. calls ex-boyfriends, family members, etc. Dig away. This doesn't scare me. And this certainly doesn't silence me. Hmm. wonder what Jim Rockford would do here. You think he'd take this case? You think he would uh, work for Linda Kenny Baden for $200 a day plus expenses? I don't know. I think Jim Rockford would turn this one down. I guess this Pat McKenna is now dating uh, Casey Anthony, her murder, her daughter. Wow. As I said, it's going out of control. All right, so go from one Twitter controversy to another. Kate Hall is an interesting character. I believe she's in her early 30s. She's... Ivy League educated. She's she's pretty. She's not like super hot, but she's pretty. Uh, pretty good poker player. Uh, kind of new on the scene, but she's had some some success in in her uh, appearance on the scene. A lot of people find her interesting. She's uh, she's got an interesting Twitter, which is slash Kate Hall C A T E H A L L, you know at Kate Hall. Uh, unlike a lot of the other social justice warriors, and that's she is one. That's that's her biggest uh, flaw. That she's a social justice warrior, and she gets too involved in all that stuff, and it makes her look foolish sometimes. Uh, but a lot of people appreciate, other than that, her tweets. Uh, she can be uh, humorous. She can be interesting, introspective. She's clearly intelligent, so. A lot of people like reading what she has to say, and she's very outspoken because, you know, this is a pretty girl who's in poker, who's a pretty good player, who's outspoken on her Twitter, but usually outspoken in kind of a kind of a, a cute and charming way and, and not like in a really obnoxious way that makes you hate her. Like it's, it's, not, like the, when you, it's not like when you read Justin Bonomo's tweets and you go, what a freaking douche. Like when Justin Bonomo tweets, he's, he's like coming off as an asshole. He's coming off as uh, someone talking down to you. That he's enlightened and you're not. And like you, you read Justin Bonomo's tweets and you want to hate him, and you do hate him. Uh, Kate Hall's not the same way. She she has some charm to her, but but she's getting herself in hot water with her recent tweets, and she's gotten in, in not one, not two, but three Twitter controversies in a short time. Uh, the first controversy she got into. Probably the least interesting of the three. But the first controversy that she had had to do with another girl tweeting about young girls in poker. And I, I actually thought Kate Hall was younger than she is. Uh, someone told me she's in her 30s, which I guess is believable. Her face doesn't look really that young. I, for some reason, I put her late 20s, but I guess she, she probably is early 30s. But the first thing that got her embroiled in controversy was a tweet from Jessica Dolly, D-A-W-L-E-Y. That's at Jessica Dolly, D-A-W-L-E-Y. That said, if there are any females I don't hate yet, age 18 to 27, who haven't slept or extorted their way to the middle of poker, MTV awaits. 
<laughs> Sorry, she said, hit me up, MTV awaits. It's almost like uh, uh, they could do a reality show because there's so few of them. Of females that uh, between 18 and 27 that are in poker that haven't slept or extorted their way only to the middle of poker, not even to the top of poker. Even putting them down that way. They, they, they sleep with guys, extort guys, but then only get up to the middle of poker anyway. So she got a lot of backlash for this. A lot of backlash. And Jessica was saying, look, I'm not saying that's about all females, just that uh, a lot of them I know are this way. So people are like, okay, well, name one. And then she wouldn't name any, and people got mad. So that was Jessica Dolly who wrote that, not Kate Hall. But Kate Hall was one of the people responding very angrily to Jessica Dolly about this. Because remember, Kate Hall is a feminist. Kate Hall is always uh, tweeting all the social justice warrior feminist stuff. So anything that can be seen as possibly disrespectful to women, even coming from another woman, remember Jessica Dolly's female herself, uh, Kate Hall gets very angry about and, and tweets at them very angrily. So Kate Hall really ripped Jessica Dolly a new one. Uh, apparently Kate Hall took this very seriously. Our own China Maniac, who sometimes appears on this show, tweeted to Kate Hall. She said to the middle of poker, not the top, where do you get to the top from? Are you at the top of poker? <laughs> and Kate Hall got so mad at that innocent tweet that she blocked China Maniac for simply saying that, which I, I don't understand. That wasn't very bad. What was wrong with that? She said to the middle of poker, not the top. Where do you get to the top from? Are you saying you're at the top of poker? Like, it's not a nice tweet, but it's not a it's not a terrible one. I, she's not required to respond. She could ignore China Maniac, but to block him for simply that, that's all he did, I thought is a very thin skin. So that's a side note. So that happened, and uh, people didn't take that much note because a lot of people were getting on Jessica Dolly's case, so... Kate Hall was just one of several people getting all over her there. She did block uh, China Maniac. So that, that was the smallest of the three issues that came up. The, but then, the, then came the next one, which really caught my attention. And a lot of people in the forum didn't agree with me about this one, but I don't, I don't care. I'm going I'm to state my opinion anyway. This is what she tweeted shortly after the whole Jessica Dolly thing happened. And you have to really decipher this because it, it, uh, otherwise it can sound different than it really is. She said, I'm poly, sex positive, and surrounded by men, and I don't sleep with them because I don't want people saying I fucked to the top. And that's some bullshit. Listen to that again. I'm poly, sex positive, and surrounded by men, I don't, and I don't sleep with them because I don't want people saying I fucked to the top, and that's some bullshit. Now, that's obviously in response to what Jessica Dolly was saying. But what is she trying to say here? Let's start with the beginning. I'm poly... Comma, sex positive. What, what does she mean by that, poly, sex positive? Well, poly is, refer, is, is referring to polyamorous. Polyamory is the concept that you can love physically and emotionally several people at once. And I don't mean love them like friends or love them like family. I mean have a romantic love, including sex, with several people at once. So if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend that, that you can have other boyfriends, girlfriends, you can have several at once. It's not necessarily like a threesome. Like you can be, you could be a straight female and be polyamorous and have two different boyfriends who know about each other. And you're not having sex with them at the same time. 
you're not even necessarily with them at the same time physically, but you, but uh, you know, you may be with one guy on Monday, the next guy on Tuesday, the next guy on Wednesday. Uh, it could be three, it could be four. It doesn't mean two. You know, it could be poly means many. So that's what. And there's no question. That's what she means by poly. That's that's the term. So she's saying she's poly, which I didn't know, I, but uh, apparently she is. Uh, Justin Monimo uh, claimed he's polyamorous, if you remember. But she also said sex positive. Now, what does that mean? I mean, aren't most of us positive about sex? Don't most of us think sex is a good thing? Well, that yes, but that's not what she means. Sex positive basically means that uh, you think everything regarding sex is good and nothing to be ashamed of, provided everybody is consenting and doesn't hurt anybody. Now, you may say, great, that's, that's positive, right? That's good. So this mean, so the good sides of sex positivity means that you shouldn't be ashamed of being gay, which is true, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be ashamed of, uh, of, of liking certain people with, you know, with certain body types or, or of, of another race or whatever. Again, that's good. If, whatever you like, you should go for. You know, that's, that's the truth. Uh, it means you shouldn't be ashamed of, of certain fetishes you may have. That, that's fine, too, as long as the fetishes aren't hurting anybody. As long as you find willing participants of the fetishes, that, that's fine, too. If, if you, that you shouldn't be ashamed of it. You, you shouldn't be ashamed of wanting to watch porn. Okay, that's fine, too. But there's more to sex positivity, and that's feminist sex positivity, and that's what she's referring to. Feminist sex positivity is basically criticizing men for being able to sleep with a lot of women, not necessarily if they were a relationship, but let's say a single guy, that he could sleep with uh, 50 different women in a year, and people will applaud him for it and say that he's a stud and say that he's got game. People will admire him for this. Not everybody, but a lot of people will, and that's true. But if a woman sleeps with 50 guys in a year, that makes her into a slut. That makes her into a whore. That makes her... That you have a very bad opinion of a woman who sleeps with that many guys in a year. So feminists uh, don't like this double standard. They say it should be the same standard all the way across. That if it's okay for men to sleep with a whole lot of different women... It should be okay for women to sleep with a whole lot of different men. It should be viewed the same way, is what feminists say. So that's really one of the main facets of feminist sex positivity. That you can sleep with as many guys as you want, and you don't have to worry about it. Because uh, who cares if people call you a slut? Guys who do it are lauded, so you should be lauded too. If you feel like having sex with a lot of guys, if the guys you have sex with know that you have sex with a lot of guys and don't have a problem with it, then everybody's cool with it. What's the problem? That's, that's what feminist sex positivity is. It's basically saying you can be a total slut, you can sleep with unlimited numbers of guys, and everybody should be cool with it because you're happy with it and the guys are happy with it. Now, how do I know that's what she means by sex positive? How do, I, how do I know she means that rather than sex positive, just that she thinks sex is a good thing, thinks that uh, you should not be ashamed of what you like in sex? Look, because of the context of her message. She wrote, I'm poly, sex positive, and surrounded by men, and don't sleep with them. Stop right there. Stop. Stop. I'm poly, sex positive, and surrounded by men, and I don't sleep with them. 
Okay, so she is relating being poly and sex positive to being surrounded by men that she chooses not to sleep with. Now, it's true she is surrounded by men. She's referring to poker, of course, because poker is mostly men. So she's surrounded by men in poker, which she is. She's probably surrounded by a number of men who she's attracted to, which she probably is. But she doesn't sleep with any of them, despite being poly and sex positive. Now, there's no point to mention being poly and sex positive. You, you could make the statement without saying either of those things. You could just say, I'm surrounded by men and I don't sleep with them. Because I don't want people saying I fucked at the top. Like, uh, that would be a fine statement. So, so why throw in I'm poly and sex positive? Because she's trying to say that not only does she not sleep with men in general, like, like, a lot of, you know, like any girl may not, may or may not do, but, but she's saying that she, she has the additional facets to her that she's also polyamorous and sex positive, which means basically I'm the type who wants to have sex with a lot of different people. Uh, you know, within a short time, that I'm I'm not I'm not looking for a boyfriend necessarily, or if I am, I still want to screw other guys. That's what they, that's what she means by poly. I mean, that's for sure. It's what she means by poly, and sex positive meaning that you know I want to have sex with as many people I find attractive, and that should be okay because I'm sex positive. I think having sex between two consenting adults when they want to is positive. And it doesn't, doesn't matter if you do it a bunch of times with a bunch of different people. If everybody's happy, it's, it's a positive thing. That's what she's trying to say. That despite being both polyamorous and sex positive, she still doesn't sleep with these men. That's showing what's, She's showing how much restraint she has. She's showing you that she's not only showing restraint just being a woman surrounded by men, she's showing restraint because she's a woman surrounded by men and is also poly and also sex positive. So here's someone who believes it's okay to have sex with everybody. And she still doesn't do it. And she's saying the reason she doesn't do it is because she doesn't want people saying she fucked her way to the top like this Jessica Dolly girl said. And then she ends it with, and that's some bullshit, meaning this sucks. Meaning, I really wish I could just do this, but because of people like Jessica Dolly, I can't. I really want to screw a lot of guys in poker. I really want to bang a lot of guys in poker, but I can't do it because... Girls like Jessica Dolly will say I fucked my way to the top, so therefore I can't sleep with anyone, and that's some bullshit. I really want to let loose, and I can't do it because of people like that. That's what she's trying to say. So that's that's a pretty interesting admission. She's saying, I want to let loose and have sex with a whole lot of dudes that I'm surrounded by, and that's totally okay with my beliefs, but I can't because of what people will think of me. Now, this goes on, because Shane Schlager responded and said, isn't poker the rare profession being a meritocracy and individualistic where that's probably a non-factor or provably a non-factor referring to if you've won tournaments, you've won tournaments. It, you, know, it, it, you can't be said to have slept your way to the top because if you've won, you've won. He's right. So she responded. She said, no, because you have people saying it doesn't count because you slept with dudes for lessons, staking, sponsorship, whatever. So she's clarifying it, saying that fucked your way to the top can also just be that you were bankrolled enough to be able to become a top poker player or even taught for free by top poker players who otherwise would not have taught you for free because you had sex with them. So she says that uh, that's the problem. If she, she had sex with the guys in poker that she wanted to, then people would say, oh, I bet this guy was bankrolling her. Oh, I bet this guy was giving her lessons. Ah, you know, she didn't do this on her own like the rest of us did. So that's what she's saying. But wait... She doesn't stick by that statement. She, she changes it. 
because Shane Schlager says back, I doubt people would ever say that, and who cares what people say anyway? And she said back, I care because it's instrumental to my goals, not because I give a shit about gossip. I've heard about it. I've heard it many times about other women. So wait a minute. She says she doesn't give a shit about gossip, but didn't she just say she didn't want to hear gossip? Like she was saying, oh, I don't want people saying I fucked my way to the top. Now she's saying, oh, I don't care about gossip. So what does she mean by I care because it's instrumental to my goals? What does that mean? What, what, what goals is she talking about? Uh, so she's saying she doesn't care about them saying she fucked her way to the top. She just, she just cares because of her goals. But then what could those goals be? So Matt Glantz, who listens to this show, by the way. Hello, Matt. He said, who cares what people say or think? No matter what you do or how successful are you, are, you are in poker, people are going to say shit. So Kate Hall responded to Matt. She said, I'm too tired. I, I don't give a fuck what people think, except as it affects perceptions of larger issues I've made a thing of. Ah, we've got our answer. I don't care what people think, except of how it affects perceptions of larger issues I've made a thing of. Now, what larger issues has she made a thing of? Well, all the social justice warrior stuff, all the feminist stuff, all the stuff that she put out there, issues that are bigger than her, just general issues that she finds near and dear to her heart. Always social justice warrior type stuff. That's the stuff she's been tweeting out. So now it makes sense. Now she's saying that she doesn't want the perception that she fucked her way to the top, that she's a slut, because that will make people tune her out when she tweets about these important social justice warrior issues. Because if, if this is Kate Hall the slut, then they're going to go, ah, who cares what she has to say? If, if this is Kate Hall who, who doesn't sleep with anyone in poker and is her own woman, well, then, then she matters a lot more. That's what she's trying to say. So, very interesting. Very interesting. She's basically saying that she, she wants to have sex with a lot of different dudes in poker. Could. Would really like it, but, but can't because uh, people will talk trash about her, make it seem like she fucked her way to the top, that she's a slut, and then that will, in turn, cause people not to take her seriously regarding the issue she finds important. And that's the most important thing to her. Even more important than sex. Strangely, some people took this a different way. Some people were insisting that she was uh, simply questioning the contradictions in feminist culture. That's not what she was doing there. She wasn't questioning feminists. She wasn't, uh, or she wasn't questioning necessarily those that uh, that judge her for for having sex. She, she's questioning the fact. I mean, she was sort of, but she that wasn't where it stopped. She was questioning the fact. That it sucks in life that you want to have sex with a whole lot of different people, but you can't because it will change everyone's perception of you. She's trying to say she wishes this was an enlightened world where she could just have sex with as many guys as she wants and that people would only judge her on her accomplishments and on her opinions, but not who she's had sex with or how many guys she's had sex with. That's That's what she's very unhappy about, that as soon as you have sex with guys in the poker world that too much gossip starts and no one takes you seriously anymore. And specifically what she doesn't, what the gossip she's okay with, but specifically she doesn't want the social justice warrior stuff being ignored. That's, that's what she's saying without directly saying it. That's definitely what she's saying. There's no question. It's not in my mind.
Now, this also led to a discussion of polyamory. Is polyamory uh, a bad thing? Maybe people like Kate Hall and Justin Bonomo, maybe they are more enlightened than we are. If you look up polyamory on the internet, you'll see all this stuff about uh, polyamory is is about transparency. It's about honesty. It's about uh, the end of jealousy. Because basically what it's saying is instead of cheating on your girlfriend, say your girlfriend cheating on you or your wife or whatever, that you just, you're just open about it. You're like, hey, uh, I'm going to be attracted to other people, both physically and uh, emotionally and mentally. Uh, I probably am going to want to sleep with them. Maybe even want to have a relationship with them too. But that doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. It doesn't mean I, I don't want to be with you anymore. It just means that uh, I'd like them as well. So I, I don't want to cheat on you. I don't want to be dishonest. I want to be transparent and let you know that I'm going to do that. And But but on the good side is if, if you find someone you're interested in, you can also do that as well. I'm not going to be jealous. I'm not going to get mad if, if, you, know, if you want to have sex with other guys. That's what a, a polyamorous man would be saying to his girlfriend or his wife. And, and, of course, the hope is that two polyamorous people get together and then they can have their polyamorous relationship and everybody can be happy and sexually fulfilled and, and mentally and emotionally fulfilled and uh, everybody is enlightened and nobody's jealous. And these are evolved humans way past old-fashioned jerks like us, old-fashioned simpletons like us who not only close our minds to having multiple lovers at once, but also are hypocrites in that we will sometimes cheat and have sex or relationships with others behind closed doors until we are caught. So aren't we inferior to the polyamorous crowd? Well, the answer, in my opinion, is no. Because that, like communism, is something that sounds great in theory but does not work in practice. I have known some polyamorous people in my life. I have not uh, been in a polyamorous relationship. I wouldn't be. It's just weird to me. Uh, I, I wouldn't like that. But I've known people who have been in them. And at, at first I get all the same BS that I just told you, without the explanations of why it's so great. But here's the truth. Human beings are very competitive by nature. Human beings are jealous by nature. And it is not easy at all. In fact, it's almost impossible to put aside jealousy. To put aside hurt feelings when you think that the other lover or lovers are desired or appreciated or connected more than you are. Uh, let's say let's say you have a girlfriend, and uh, you agree to have a polyamorous relationship. And at first you go, "Oh, this is great! You know, I can bang other girls. I don't have to worry about the cheating thing. You know, I can even I can even like these girls more than just sex. I can I can have a, an emotional relationship with them too. I, I really can just do what I want. This is awesome, and I can still come home and be with her. And you know, because I like her too. Wow, this is great. Well, the problem is. She can too. And what happens if uh, you come home one day and she's on the phone with some guy and she's laughing and she's smiling and she could t- you can tell she's really into him. And, and then she meets him and, and uh, you know, 
you can tell she's got a glow about her that she, this is this so much more exciting than what she's got going on with you. With, with you, it's gotten kind of stale, it's gotten kind of old, it's gotten kind of routine. With him, it's so exciting, and you you imagine that the sex is probably better too, at least better now because you know it's new and exciting for her. And uh, how would you feel? Honestly, how would you feel? Would you feel like you can just both share her? It'd be cool, or would you would you feel like maybe you're being pushed out? Even if you're still in the picture, would you like that he's on her mind all the time, not you? Would you like that she's looking forward to being with him, not you? That she's fantasizing about him, not you? Would you like these thoughts in your mind, even knowing that you can go out and bang another girl right now? Probably not. Probably it wouldn't be a worth. It. it wouldn't be worth it. It wouldn't be a good trade-off, right? This is the problem with polyamory, and it's this way on the other side too. The girls notice this too. The girls notice when you know their boyfriend is into a new girl and kind of ignoring them or putting them aside or less excited about them and they get jealous too they, they can pretend they're not they can try to suppress the jealousy but it's really there and i've seen weird things happen in these polyamorous relationships where they start setting up weird rules about uh um you know you can love the other person but not too much not quite as much as you love me you, you can you can spend time with them but you've got to spend a little more time with me you, or you, you can take them you can go anywhere with them but you can't bring them to our home like it, it's like all these weird rules that are kind of established out of jealousy but they pretend isn't the point is there there's probably a very small percentage of people who could actually exist this way and be okay with it but most people the jealousy eventually takes over uh, basically, it's a vicious cycle. Okay, so that example I just gave. The example I just gave, where you're polyamorous, your girlfriend finds a new guy, she seems totally into him, thinking about him all the time, talking to him all the time. You can tell she's much more excited about him than you. So what do you go do? Well, obviously you say, okay, well, if you can play that game, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go find a, another girlfriend too. I'll, I'll have my side chick. I have my second girl, not even a side chick, I have my second girlfriend. So you, you go find some other girl. And, and sure enough, you find one you like, and then you're really into her, and you're really into the sex. And well, guess what? Now you're not very excited about her anymore either. I'm talking about your, your, your old girlfriend. So now, now both of you are kind of checked out of the relationship, but you're still in it for some reason. Both of you are into another person, but both of you are still coming home to each other and kind of going through the motions. Like it, it's, that, that's what happens. And eventually the old ones kind of get pushed out. And guess what? Uh, then new ones come after the, the, the first new ones, and then the, the first new ones get, become old, and they get pushed out. It never works. shouldn't say never, but it usually doesn't work. And all the polyamorous people I knew over time abandoned it and went back to a monogamous relationship. Not with the same person, but like that. They'd meet someone completely new and put all that crap behind them. It's just not in human nature to do. It's just too hard. You can't just turn off your emotions like a light switch. And if you can, there's probably something wrong with you. If you really care about your girlfriend or your wife and you're totally cool with her going off and banging other dudes and emotionally feeling connected to them, if you're okay with watching her have the glow of falling in love with someone new while she's with you, then there's something wrong with you. You're, you I mean, there's something wrong with your emotions why you, this does not make you feel jealous, why this doesn't make you feel like uh, you're becoming secondary. You should feel that way because that's the truth. That's what's happening. And if you care about the person, you shouldn't want to be replaced. That's the problem with polyamory. And I, I think 
also a lot of it is just kind of a rebellion thing. Like, like, look how open-minded I am. Unfortunately, the social justice warrior types, they're just obsessed with being open-minded. They're obsessed with, with, with bucking the system, with being different, with being in the counterculture. I'm not saying that things shouldn't change over time or that uh, new concepts are always bad, but uh, this is one that, that just doesn't work. In fact, the, the, the old swinging scene in the 70s that started that uh, where people would do wife swapping and all that, which still exists to some degree, I think even that's more healthy than polyamory because at least there you're admitting that it's just about the sex. You're, you're pretty much having empty sex. You're saying, look, you know, our, our sex life has become boring. Let's spice it up and be with other people, but we're not going to care about the other people. We're just going to have empty sex and, and come back to each other and, and kind of forget about the people we were just with. Th- that, I don't think that's the best thing either. I think that also has flaws, which I won't bother getting into, but it's, it's kind of a lesser version of polyamory where you can also – polyamory involves the emotion too, and that, that's a complete mess. Uh, so anyway – the third thing she got into, there's a third story about Kate Hall. She tweeted uh, this little video. I guess there's no sound to it. It's like of a guy doing like a facepalm. Things from Saturday Night Live or something. But it says, when the 365-year-olds at your table get moved to late reg tables and you're, they're replaced by Maria Ho and uh, Justin Liberto and some other guy. So, so basically, she's saying, like, she's making, showing some guy making a face and, and then doing a face palm, and that's her reaction when three sixty-five-year-olds are moved away from the table and three good players are moved in and their place. Now, we've all had that happen at tournaments where the, the fish is, is moved from the table, then a seat's open, and then they replace them with some really good players. And you're like, why did they do this? You know, it's one thing if the fish busts, but they, they move the fish away from the table and then they put someone else there. That's uh, a really good player, and, and so that's what she was saying here, and we've all felt that. And and this when the three sixty five year olds, so she's saying basically the sixty five year olds suck at poker. Well, guess what? Most of them do. She's right. There are some very good sixty five year old players, but most of them are not very good. The average sixty five year old player is worse than the average forty five year old player. It's the truth. The average twenty five year old player is better than the average forty five year old player. The, the younger you are, for the most part in poker, uh, the on average, the better you're going to be. And and being someone in my 40s, I admit that. I admit that when I see someone my age and when I see someone that's 20 years younger than me, I assume the guy 20 years younger than me is the good player and the one my age is the bad player. Sometimes I play and I see that's not true, but that's what I assume, and I am that age. You know? So I'm not being ageist here because I'm thinking of my own age. And I'm going, the guy my own age, I, I picture is probably going to not be that great. And, and the guy who's 20 years younger than me, I'm picturing is going to be good. That's the stereotype because... Yeah, stereotypes arise from grains of truth, and definitely there's there's a lot of truth in poker that the, the older people are just not as good. So she actually said something that's true. Like, this is what every poker player would think of 365-year-olds. I think even other 65-year-olds would think that if they saw 365-year-olds get moved away and then three really good players are moved in. So, like, I don't think... I don't see anything wrong with Kate Hall's tweet about that. I think it's kind of funny, and we've all thought that at some point. The problem is she's the social justice warrior who's always talking about... You can't ever say anything slightly offensive about women or you're such a bad, evil person. So here she now has said something stereotypical about old people. See, it is being ageist. It's the truth, but it's, it's being ageist. So you, you can't post a tweet that's negatively stereotyping older people, but then get mad at people for negatively stereotyping women. You either have to be 
okay and laugh off the stereotypical uh, messages, or you have to be mad at all of them. You can't pick and choose. And the ones that apply to you or groups that you feel like you need to defend, you get offended at, but the groups that you don't feel that you need to defend, uh, then you can do the same thing back to those groups and uh, think it's okay. Now, in Kate Hall's defense, she did admit after Matt Glantz and others raised the issue that, uh, yeah, she was being hypocritical and she apologized. But still, <laughs> that's the problem with being a social justice warrior and trying to have a sense of humor. It's, it's hard to do both at the same time because you're always going to offend someone. So my advice to you, Kate Hall, is to stop being a social justice warrior. There's even a small uh, backlash now uh, from this that's occurring. That's Poker News. There's an article there named, uh, written by a guy named Martin Derbyshire, who I think once worked for Colonel Fabersham. And uh, they already had some history. I guess he wrote something she didn't like back in early May, and uh, she bashed him for it. But Martin Derbyshire wrote this. I'm going to read it in English voice, because Martin Derbyshire sounds like the perfect English name, even better than Nigel Fabersham. Cheers to the venerable Matt Glantz for pointing out the hypocrisy in a recent tweet by social justice warrior Kate Hall. Hall's remarks about three players, 65 and up, being replaced at her tournament table by notable pros were about as ageist as many of the comments she's constantly rallying against are sexist. Before poker's politically correct community jumps down my throat, let me be clear. Misogyny and sexism are real issues in the poker world and need to be dealt with. People like Hall shining the light on their experiences and identifying these issues are a step in the direction towards solving the problem. And I'm not going to read the rest, but anyway, she's. Uh, I'll go to the end here. As Glance mentioned, Hall's in a glass house throwing stones with that tweet, and although she's since apologized if Hall wants her opinions on real issues like sexism and misogyny and poker to keep, continue to be heard, she should pick up and choose her battles in a more selective manner. Taking a time a little off the top of the soapbox wouldn't hurt her or other members of poker's politically correct police either. So he's saying not only should she stop being hypocritical, but maybe she should stop being uh, poker's politically correct police. It's a pretty scathing uh, mention here. And it's even longer than that. I just skipped the middle of it. But that's from Martin Derbyshire on Poker News. So now a lot of people are all over Martin's case, including her friends and social justice warrior friends and saying that Martin is only doing this as retaliation because she called for uh, some kind of... uh, She gave him a hard time back in May for something he had written and that he's doing this in retaliation. And China Maniac reported that uh, she's calling Poker News... Or she's called on Poker News to fire him and is going nuts. So, (laughs) oh boy. A A lot of controversy with Kate Hall recently. I'm still hard, I'm finding it hard to hate Kate Hall though. It's like it's someone that she's kind of hard to dislike. It's like I can see the charm in her. It's kind of, I've kind of have mixed feelings with her because some of the stuff really annoys me that she does, but at the same time she does kind of try to be introspective and she does have a sense of humor to some degree, but I don't know. I think if she dropped the social justice warrior stuff, she'd actually be be pretty interesting. Here's something interesting. A billion-dollar bust has occurred against illegal sports betting sites that are U.S.-facing. Here is the story with that. 
this is reported by Reuters, that men in California and New York are charged in a billion-dollar gambling ring. The people who are charged, I don't know any of them, Gordon Michnick, Arthur Rossi, Joseph Schneider, and Claude Ferguson. These were the guys who were in New York. I don't know about the L.A. people. It's four California and New York men have been charged in an Internet-based sports gambling ring that handled nearly $1 billion in bets during a single football season and ran a team of employees in Costa Rica. Gordon Michnick, Joseph Schneider, Arthur Rossi, and Claude Ferguson were charged with crimes including enterprise corruption and first-degree promoting gambling in a 57-count indictment. Most forms of gambling are illegal in New York State, with legal gambling limited Indian reservation casinos, betting on horse races and Las Vegas-style casinos. Illegal gambling is not a victimless crime, Thompson said. It preys on people's vulnerabilities and directly leads to money laundering, loan sharking, and a host of other crimes. Michnik is the suspected ringleader, which operated in Brooklyn and other areas, prosecutors said. He's accused of purchasing more than 20 houses to help him launder money. The group operated several password-protected websites that allowed gamblers to place bets on a series of professional and collegiate sports games, prosecutors said. A toll-free number for wagering was also provided. Clients were solicited by word of mouth and on internet gambling forums. The operation accepted $927 million of wagers on NFL games during the 2015 season, prosecutors said. Thompson said he believes the bust is the biggest of its kind to be brought by local prosecutors. At its peak, the operation had $200,000 in monthly bills, including salaries for a team of employees located in San Jose, Costa Rica, who ran a call center for betters, prosecutors said. So this, the defendants uh, face up to 25 years in prison, though they're unlikely to get that. That part's in my opinion. Anyway, I know of these type of sites. Uh, this is not a traditional internet gambling site. This is not what you're thinking of, probably, where you just sign up, deposit money, bet, and you know if you win, you, you hit the cash out button and they send you a check or a wire, and if you lose, then you deposit more. That's not how this works. These are actual bookies who have uh, local agents that uh, sign you up on a password-protected site. When I say password-protected, I mean it's a site where you can see it's a gambling site, but you cannot get in and see anything. You can't see the lines. You can't see what they offer. It just says it has just some generic gambling type of logo in the front, and it says uh, enter your account name and password. And the only you can't sign up. You can't hit like register or sign up. You have to sign up through someone that uh, gets you on there, through an agent. You get signed up either by being referred to other trusted players on there or by one of the agents who just trusts you and decides to let you on. Presumably they met some people off the internet forums and did that. This is really the new form of bookmaking. Uh, the old form where you just call up your bookie and say, hey, place you know, this much money on this team and then, uh, you, know, then you pay him or he pays you. That, that's, that's gone out the window. Now they use internet sites and these sites, they don't hold any money. And I don't know for sure if this is the way this one worked, but typically these sites don't hold any money. You're not depositing or cashing out. It's really just for record keeping and for the actual placement of the bets. So, so let's say you know, tomorrow or today the Dodgers and Rockies are playing. So let's say I, I was a member of one of these things. I would log in. There's no deposit button, no withdrawal button. I just log in, look at the line, say, okay, Dodgers are minus 155. Okay, I'm going to place 500 on Dodgers minus 155. So if the bet wins, then my balance goes up. If my bet loses, then my balance goes down 500. And uh, and and I you know I just keep placing bets like this. And once a week, 
whatever my total is, let's say I'm up uh, $1,300 at the end of the week. Well, then the, the bookie personally sends me $1,300. If I'm down at the end of the week, let's say I'm down 1800 then I'm supposed to personally send him $1,800. And if, it, if it's very close to zero, like if, if it's $45 the, t- the total either way, then usually you just would roll it over and you know no one bothers sending each other anything. You just uh, keep that balance. But the important thing is there's no cash out button. There's no there's no deposit. There's no withdrawal. You're actually dealing with the agent directly to make payments and to receive payments from him. The site is only there to place the bets, to keep track of the bets, to uh, pr- pretty much for record keeping, record keeping, and for the actual management of the bets, but but not management of the money. The money's managed by the agents. Bad guy twenty three who has a lot of uh, experience in this mentioned that a lot of these bookies actually rent space on these sites from these Costa Rican operations, that the sites are located in Costa Rica, but that the they're not owned by the bookie. The bookie just rents space on there to basically use the betting system. But since all the money is handled between the bookie and the client, that they, you know, they don't handle that, and that they pay something pretty cheap, like $15 per client. The reason it's so cheap is because the client doesn't usually have to uh, – usually it is all on, does it all online and there's no payment processing, so it's pretty easy. So $15 per client doesn't sound like much, but if a bookie has 100 clients, that's, that's $1,500 a month for this uh, the site that doesn't really do very much. It's, it's all, it all pretty much runs itself because most of this is done by the internet, not by phone. You can place it by phone, but most people don't do that. So – I'm not sure if, if uh, this organization was running these sites or if they – it sounds like they were so big they actually had their own sites. Instead of renting space on them, they probably just had their own sites and their own call, own call center in uh, Costa Rica. But but the way they say that it's through a password-protected site and that it's uh, – that, that with these call centers in Costa Rica, this sounds really just like – Oh, and the fact that they you know, refer people through word of mouth and internet forums, it sounds just like the thing that I've heard of. So what about these things? What if you had, What if you were offered to use one of these? A few questions may come to mind. Uh, are you breaking the law? Are you going to go to jail by using one? That's question number one. Question number two, uh, is this safe? Or are you going to get ripped off? Well, number one, you're not going to go to jail for this. Uh, the, book, the bookie may go to jail, but uh, you being a client of a bookie, they're not going to send you to jail. It's a... It's not quite like prostitution where sometimes they arrest the Johns, too. They're not going to arrest you. Now, again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving you legal advice. I'm not giving you any promises. But the customers of bookies, I haven't heard of getting busted. The bookie, again, may get busted, but you may not. And what about trusting it? Well, believe it or not, these things are actually, uh, especially if you get referred by someone that's, been using it for a while and has a good experience with it. These things are actually fairly safe because unlike these traditional gambling sites that we usually talk about on this show, these sites, you know, the, they're only keeping track of the money. So even if it shuts down, you'll still get your money because they're just keeping records there. It's not they're not actually holding money. And and you're you're settling once a week, so, you know, how much are you going to really lose? Even if the bookie ran off on you and disappeared, which usually doesn't happen. Let's say he ran off or goes to jail. At worst, you're out a week's uh, balance on there, and the balance may even be negative. You may you may actually gain if he runs off if you're if you're down that week. But given that it's settled every week, there's only so much you're going to be down unless you're betting huge sums of money. So so for the most part, these are safe. They're actually safer than than most of the traditional uh, book 
sports books that you'll find online where you do deposit because a lot of those just never pay you. So if you can get on one of these, it's not that bad of an idea if you're a regular sports better. It's, it's really not very much risk, and, and frequently the lines are better than you'll find on, on Bodog or Bovada, which is not really a good place for uh, casual sports or for regular sports betting because the lines just aren't good. And it's also good to have a few books, so this way you can line shop and you can bet on the line that's best. It, it can really make a big difference. So that's what was busted here. And uh sounds like a big operation, though. To take almost a billion in wagers in one NFL season, they must have had a lot of clients. And they probably took some big ones, too. That's, that's why I'm thinking that the uh, government became interested in them. Getting near the end of the show here, I actually meant to only do a three-hour show. It looks like it's going to be about four. But Tropicana Entertainment, they have a number of properties uh, around the country, but not Tropicana Las Vegas. I'm going to tell you what properties they have. Uh, Tropicana Entertainment has Tropicana Laughlin, the Mont Blue Resort in Lake Tahoe, these are both in Nevada, but far from each other. You know, Lake Tahoe and Laughlin, probably 500 miles apart, maybe even more. Uh, New Jersey has, uh, in Atlantic City, the Tropicana. In Louisiana, there's the Belle of Baton Rouge. Mississippi, the Tropicana Greenville. Indiana, the Tropicana Evansville. Missouri has Lumiere Place. Don't know where that is, but it's there in Missouri. And in Aruba, they actually have one called Tropicana Aruba. So why am I telling you about Tropicana Entertainment? And again, they don't own Tropicana Las Vegas. Nothing to do with this story. But if you're a Seven Stars member at Caesars, you can go to any Trop Advantage desk. And Trop Advantage is their rewards program. So you go to any Trop Advantage desk of any of these properties and get automatically upgraded to their second highest level, which is called Platinum. What does Platinum get you? Well, it actually gets a few nice things. It gets a free carnival cruise with an ocean view cabin. It's not going to have a balcony, but an ocean view. It's better than an inside. Uh, a three-night stay at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas with a $100 food credit. And a three-night three night free stay at any Tropicana Entertainment property of the ones I listed. Again, there's none in Vegas, but of the ones I listed, you get a free three-night stay. Now, of these benefits, what's best? Well... Unless you're going to Baton Rouge, Greenville, Evansville, this wherever this Lumiere place in Missouri is, or Aruba, the three free nights isn't going to be that useful to you because as a Seven Stars member, they have properties, you know, Caesars has properties in Laughlin, in Tahoe, and Atlantic City. So it's not like you won't have a place to stay. So who cares if you have three free nights in Laughlin, the Tropicana, if you can already stay in Harris Laughlin? Who cares if they have the Mont Blue Resort has three free nights if you can already stay in Harris or Harvey or Harvey's there. They have two properties, you know, Caesars. So the Cosmo in Las Vegas, the three night stay there with a hundred dollar food credit, that's a nice thing to have because the Cosmo is a nice place and you know the hundred dollar food credit is nice to get. So that that's a good benefit. Especially if you only have one comp room typically and you want to take somebody else one weekend. You want to take friends, you want to take family. Now you have a free room for them, too, at a nice place, the Cosmo. The Carnival Cruise, well, I've heard bad things about them. Uh, basically, the clientele, the clientele on Carnival Cruises is known to be drunk, young, and obnoxious. So uh, I know most of the 
listenership to this show, you may be drunk, you may be obnoxious, but you're not young. Few of you are young, but most of you are around my age, maybe even older. So I, I don't know about you, but when I go on a cruise, I don't want to see like a bunch of frat boys drinking and screaming, woo! Like, I, I don't want that. That's, it's, I didn't even like that when I was in college, but I like it much less now. Like, I, I don't want to be around a bunch of drunk kids. Not fun. And I, I heard this is the way it is on Carnival Cruises. I've never been on one, so maybe I'm wrong, but I, I've, I've heard this from a number of people who've gone on Carnival. So there's that. Now, there's some people that like Carnival. It's not it's not universally hated, but there's a number of people who just won't go on it. In fact, I, I had a friend from high school, and I went to his wedding in 2009. He's no longer with her, by the way, but... <laughs> He went to his her. I went to his wedding in two thousand nine, and his honeymoon was on a carnival cruise. And he and his wife hated it so much, and hated quote the people on there, and hated everything about it that he was just sitting there on Facebook his entire honeymoon and bitching about how terrible the cruise is. That's how he spent his honeymoon was going on Facebook saying how the cruise sucks, and he's never going on a carnival ship again. That that was enough to scare me away from even wanting to try it. Now, if it's free, I don't know. You're still investing the time. You're still kind of trapped there at that point. Of course, you could pull a Neverwin. Neverwin, when he was on the party poker cruise, when he lost a lot of money there, like four days into the seven-day cruise, he just hopped off on one of the islands and just took a flight back home. But really, I, I don't know if I would take the Carnival cruise. I already go on a cruise every year in Norwegian, so I don't know if I would even have a use for a second cruise. I already have a free place to stay in Tahoe, Laughlin, Atlantic City. I can't see myself visiting any of those other places except maybe Aruba. But I, I think I think these free things you get, I don't know if you get them every year. I know you get this once a year, but I don't know if like – I don't know how long this platinum lasts. I should ask about that because it may just be for that year and then after that you go back down to the lowest level and you got to re-earn it. I have a feeling you don't just keep it. So I like for example, if I got this today, I can't see myself visiting Aruba or or – any of these other places that aren't Atlantic City, Laughlin, Tahoe this year. It's just not going to happen. I'm definitely not going to those places this year. So that would be useless to me, that hotel benefit. The only thing that would be beneficial to me would be the Cosmo and the $100 uh, food credit. So just worth uh, knowing about. If you're interested, you have to be a seven stars at uh, Total Rewards to do this. I don't know if they'll do this for an M Life Noir. You can ask them that I never looked into because I don't have an M Life Noir, but that's the highest level over there. But you can check into that. They may match that as well. But I thought I'd let you guys know. Let's see, I think we got one more topic here. Yeah. I don't like talking too much about the state poker legalization fight because it, it's a lot of talking, a lot of stories, and little action. Just uh, a lot of, oh, look what might happen. Oh, look what's on the way to happening. Oh, look, it didn't happen. So that's that doesn't make good very good radio, and it's frustrating to know that I've like, spent hours talking about something and then it doesn't actually occur. So I stay away from these stories, as I've mentioned before. But this is kind of interesting. Uh, Pachanga, which is a, a big casino in Southern California, uh, they are part of a coalition opposing poker stars coming to the state. And that's what's been holding up in California. California in general is pretty pro-online poker. They want to have online poker. Uh, you know, the state government's on board for it. The problem is implementing it 
keeps hitting a huge snag, and that is certain casinos want poker stars in the market that are the ones that, who are partnered with poker stars, and the ones that are not partnered with poker stars do not want them in the market. Why? Because poker stars have the best software, and they have the best brand recognition, and they will crush everybody else. That's the truth. So whatever your particular affiliation is, you meaning that you're involved with whatever casino, if your casino is going to partner with poker stars and you're very pro poker stars, if you're not partnering with poker stars, you're very anti poker stars. And then, and it's hard to have a compromise with this because it's either yes or no, like they're either here or they're not. So if they're not, then one side wins. If they're yes, then the other side wins. So it's hard to have a compromise. So the latest volley in this fight is is uh, from the Pachanga Coalition, which is not with poker stars and doesn't want to see them allowed in the state. They claim that they conducted a survey of California voters that showed that uh, 52% of likely voters are against online gambling in the country. And uh, they said they did this with a Telephone survey of 855 likely November 2016 voters in California over a five-day period in early June and an oversample of 350 Central Valley voters for a total sample of 1,205 voters. So what is an oversample? An oversample means that uh, you're taking a lot more of one particular group and then, because you're taking a lot more of them, then then you're you're weighting their uh, their answers less. So let me give you an example. Let's say in the group you're polling, ten percent of the people of the population is black. So a proper sample, ten percent of those polled are black, right? So so this way you get a, a proper representation. But let's say you're just not calling all that many people overall. So let's say you're you're calling uh, 500 people. This means that only 50 of them are going to be black. And you may say, well, 50 isn't really enough to give us a statistically meaningful result. Yes, we'll get 50 black people entering, answering, but what if these are 50 black people who aren't typical of most black people? We don't want them representing the 10% black people in this population. So... What they do is uh, instead of calling 50 black people, they might call 400 black people, but then count their votes one-eighth as much, which works out the same way. It's not like saying black people are inferior. What they're doing is they're, they're doing eight times as many black people to get a better representation of, of the varied opinions. They're doing eight times as many people, but then so, so, so not to give them eight times as much weight as everybody else, they, they, they then cut their vo- basically cut their response weight down by a factor of eight, by one-eighth. So it breaks out the same way. It still breaks out where 10% of the polling is, is attributed to black people and 10% of the population is black, so it works out. So that, that's what an oversample is, and it sounds fair, right? So that's what they're saying they did here. They're not saying the reason they did an oversample, but they did an oversample of people in the Central Valley of California of, of 350 people. Well, that's the problem. They don't say why they're doing an oversample, and it seems like this was on purpose because 
They did it in the Central Valley, which is the home of the Table Mountain Rancheria Casino, which is north of Fresno. And that casino has joined the Pachanga Coalition against Poker Stars. So it seems like that they identified an area where it's most likely that people are going to be anti-Poker Stars, and they sampled them there. And just to make sure we don't get outliers that, that may be pro poker stars that doesn't really represent the area, we made sure to do an oversample. So this way we really made sure to get a lot of votes anti-poker stars. So it was really kind of a rigging of the uh, of the data. They're really trying to massage the data whatever way they can to make sure it falls on the, on the side that uh, people are against online gambling. And why would Pachanga – be doing this. Well, you know, they want online poker because they uh, they have their own rooms that they're going to be partnering with. So it's not like they don't want it. They would be part of it. So why would they be trying to push that people are anti-online poker? Well, what they're trying to prove is they're trying to prove that the way it's currently being proposed, people don't want it. Now, that the only way people will want it is if you kick out the bad actors like poker stars. They're trying to say that people are against it right now, so don't try to push this bill as is. It's, it's against the will of the people. You have to modify it to kick out the bad actor of poker stars, and then at that point, then the people will want it. So they're trying to say right now it's too flawed to pass. It's too flawed to represent the people of California properly. That's what they're trying to push. But they're, they're doing it with a dishonest poll. And then they went on to say that they want poker stars, if, you know, if they are going to be included, that they want poker stars to be Shut out from the market for 10 years and that they also want them to pay a $60 million fine, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that's that's what Pachanga is here. Look, I understand Pachanga's point. Uh, poker stars really did get a competitive and brand recognition advantage by operating illegal in the United States. You can't deny that. And there has to be some kind of handicap they're given to where the other sites uh, have a chance. I think the fair thing to do is to give a break to the other sites on their licensing fees or maybe charge PokerStars more for licensing. Um, maybe give the site some kind of head start, but not eight, you know, not 10 years, that's insane, but give them some kind of head start. But give some kind of priority to the other sites that aren't PokerStars because PokerStars is so far ahead thanks to their illegal operation. And that it is unfair. It is unfair to those that are not poker stars that uh, you're behind an organization that was breaking the law for many years and made a lot of money all those years to become the behemoth they are today that's very hard to defeat. It's, 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 it's rewarding those that broke the law and punishing those that followed it. So if, if you're going to let them back in, you've got to do something for the other side of it. And I, that's the only type of compromise that would work. Now, unfortunately, Pachanga is demanding an unreasonable compromise of 10 years and $60 million fine, but uh, it would have to be some lesser version of that, some much lesser version of that, I think, for it to be fair, for it to pass. But right now, it is stuck, and the chance of us playing online poker in California legally in 2016 is... Zero point zero. That's it. And I think the chance of 2017 is not even looking that good at the moment. It's not. All right, people. 6 a.m. I did this longer than I wanted to. Thank you for listening. 
if you find this in the archives, you'll be surprised and say, wow, a show? I didn't expect a show. Thank you to our new listener, Patrick from New Jersey. Thank you, Forum Wars, for calling us about the Jacqueline Moscow situation and giving us a lot of good information in the chat. Let's see if we got any uh, texts. No, no more texts. I think I was just sleeping. <laughs> Let's see the chat room. Pretty dead chat room here, too. No, nothing. Well, the point is I got the show out. I knew it wasn't going to be the most interactive show, but we got two calls. <laughs> got a little bit in the chat. Got a guy getting a back rub. We're giving a back rub. We had ratings that were not good, but better than I expected. This will be in the archives before I go to sleep. I won't get much sleep. i got to wake up to do some things in this late morning and early afternoon. So I will be tired today. I hope you appreciate that, people. I hope you appreciate the sacrifices I do for this site that makes zero dollars and zero cents. The amount of money this site brings in every month is... Zero point zero. That's the truth. We'll probably have Brandon back when uh, the show's on in a normal time. We'll probably be back on our normal day at Wednesday. If not, we'll do Thursday or something. I see Mumbles Badly's calling in, but I, I just don't have time to take the call. I'm sorry. Can't do it right now. The music's playing. The show's over. So I will be playing the main event about uh, a week from today. We'll probably have a show before that. And hopefully after that, my next show will be talking about how well I did at the main event. And I hope if I get chips at the main event, I don't shoot them all off. That just That's the theme this World Series for me. i got to break that. Good morning, good night, whatever it is, everybody. Shalom. <laughs>